Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is At Eye Level? I reduct you at absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. You are listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, the legendary Mario Bava and the Big Papa Online Network Episode 17, we're in the middle of the second season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. Uh, drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. This week, we're talking the undisputed king of classic Italian horror. From his roots as a cinematographer for forgettable neorealist dramas and sword and sandal peplum, Mario Bava rose from uncredited co-direction to full-fledged auteurism and made the all-time classics of the horror genre nearly single-handedly creating the Italian Gothic, the Giallo, and the 80s slasher film well before those subgenres would flourish. Bava languished without any real critical approval for decades, only come to appreciation long after his death in the DVD era. In genius staging, it's said he could take a few potted plants and a column or two and turn them into at least four completely different sets. He was a man noted for a sense of humor and dismissiveness about his own work, and yet he crafted some of the most morbid, dark, and for the time, extreme visions in cinema. 
So join us tonight as we talk one of the true greats in Italian cult cinema and obvious inspiration for so many, even more famed auteurs and genres to follow so much slavishly in its footsteps, the inimitable Mario Bava. And uh, without any further ado, I will bring on my esteemed co-host, the Maven of Sleaze, and the man who's had me singing the theme song for Shalico for the last two weeks, uh, Mr. Lewis Fall. <laughs> Shalico. <laughs> uh, do, do I get the blame for that? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I almost did not make it on tonight. Um it was a minor technical thing, but uh, luckily we're running promos. I actually got it. Uh, this is what happens when you download the new Windows 10. Oh, God, you did. <laughs> I had no choice. I, I, I was either going to do it or, or my system was going to do weird things. But uh, I got in, so it's good. I got in with the system, with the headphones. We're, That's all the we're ready to rock. Yes, Mario Bava. Yeah. Um, I feel I should be drinking Prosecco tonight or something. Um, <laughs> I got yeah, my wine I mean, so I'm all set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. um, well, you know, I mean, there's, you know, we, we could talk about his early life. I'm sure we'll touch upon that briefly you know, as a sculptor, his work as a sculptor, a cameraman, things like right. that. But I, I, uh, for me, he's such an interesting figure in cinema, period. I mean, um, when I was young, um, I recall <laughs> watching uh, uh, Black Sunday. I think that was my first exposure to him. Right. Uh, late late night. Uh, it was late night, actually. I think uh, was it was night? black and white. And I, you know, I don't recall what show it was. It was probably channels, uh, maybe eleven. Actually, now that I think about, it, yeah, Channel Eleven used to show Black Sunday for some reason. Uh, yeah. All the other Bava films, the ones I was exposed to. And now you can get back to your story in a minute, but uh, you know, like when I was watching things like Baron Blood, uh, which was probably my first of his. Uh, and they showed a couple of them around the same time. I think uh, the Boulderized version of Lisa and the Devil, that was all Channel 9 Friday night. But Black Sunday, I think, was 11. So, go ahead. Yeah, Black Sunday was 11. And I remember uh, I was watching this and, you know, the, the really kind of even even watching a broadcast TV back in the day. The print wasn't the best in the world. And, right. you know, it's the American version and it's you know, a little overlit, and uh, I think it even said censored for television on the print. It might have, it might have, it might have, and it just uh, there were so many things in that movie that like stayed with me uh, for life. Uh, not so much the the prologue with Barbara Steele uh, as the witch, and uh, the whole hammering, or in that version, the impl- implication of the hammering of the mask of Satan on her face. Right. No, it was like little things like uh uh as uh, our our hero, uh John Richardson, right? Correct? Yes. He's 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 walking through that uh really stylized set. I mean this guy did wonders on a low budget. You know, the cemetery is set and, and he's just walking through there. She appears with these two huge dogs, Barbara Steele. I mean what a what a image. Or um Later, I mean, some of the better things for that uh, for me were, were uh, 
in the house where the, the older scion of the family is sitting before the fireplace. The fire yes. just goes out, a nice reverse shot. And, uh, you know, and Jabuto comes out, uh, the, uh, one of the villains of the piece. You know, whether they're witches or vampires, the whole thing, you know, Bob is kind of stingy with this whole yeah, I mean, he left it kind of open to interpretation. A lot of people say it's vampires. I don't know if it really is. Uh, it's just one of those weird Italian gothics. You know, something supernatural's up. Uh, you know, okay. there is a you know ancestor body double replacement sort of thing happening. Uh, but what is it really? Eh, I think it's they, they never really nailed it down, and that's part of the magic of these kind of films. They kind of leave it up in the air a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's the magic of Italian cinema. It's, but anyway, not not, not to. Not to like uh, really drag it out. I just uh, I, I I felt there's so many images in this movie that are just oh, really yeah. spectacular, uh, uh, really great. And uh, it's his first it's his first uh, film where he's totally credited credited as a director, right? Uh, and a sole director. And, and it's it's a classic. I mean, hey, you know, it's, it's uh, let's turn it back, crank. Crank it back a little bit because before Baba did this, he uh, worked on Peplums. Uh, he uh, yep. uh, yeah, he did a lot of movies yeah. as a cinematographer. Now I don't know. You were talking even earlier than that to when his he was doing sculpting and things. Did you want to touch yes. on that area first before we get into the film? Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, uh, his father, his father Eugenio, he was a he was a sculptor. And his father was also a cameraman uh, for silent films. Um, something uh, not written about, uh, read about too much, mentioned too much. Uh, of course, if everyone has Tim Lucas's huge Bible of Baba. I don't know. It's expensive. I'm jealous of it. My hat's off to you, Tim. That's, uh, no one will ever write another Mario Baba book after that. A thousand plus pages. It's... <laughs> Uh, I remember my ex-wife said, we have to get a lectern for this book. <laughs> Just so I can read it. Uh, anyway, so his father was a, a sculptor, a cameraman, uh, for silence. Uh, and uh, I, he was a optical uh, effects technician, which is like back in the early days. You know, what that actually meant, I'm not quite sure, but Mario worked his way up, you know, following the father. That was that's what Italians did. They they followed in the father's footsteps. You know, he was right. assistant cameraman, special effects, camera operator, which is the usually the focus puller before it become a DP. Um I I believe one of his earliest contributions, if not his first, was the Avatar, the Annabella, which is like a fanciful drama costume thing. That actually is his uh, first listed cinematography credit, is Annabella's Adventure. You're correct. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I would say among, because God knows one day somebody come out, look, we found 14 other movies. You know, <laughs> nowadays you got to be careful. <laughs> Uh, no, no one wants to be, you know, you like to be a completist, but you never know. Things pop up. Um, and they find him in the strangest places, bound in the Turkish caves. And, you know. You know <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, if you look at the stuff he's making in the beginning, I mean, not really making, he's not the director, he's a cinematographer. Contributing now, to, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously that's impactful. You look at the work of Sergio Salvati or Sergio Stimoletti. I mean, there is a thing, or even you could be funny and say, like, you know, Sven Nightfist, you know. All right, you know that these guys were involved. There's no question. But, you know, it's not quite the same thing as being the director. Oh, no, no, yeah. That's what I wanted to tell Yeah, I just want to get to briefly when we say uh, uh, working on optical effects or special effects, what he was really good at was perspective shots, for example. Yes. Um, not to nail it down to any particular movie, but uh, <clears throat> if it was a uh, sword and sandal movie for the for the you know, neophytes, um, <laughs> and you got a bunch of guys running around in loincloths, and there's a mountain, and there's supposed to be a castle. What he did was there was a model on a hill, small, you know, impacted yep. piece of clay, and you know, small trees. Really good at that, you know. Think Willis O'Brien, think Ray Harryhausen, and he. You know, using glass plates and, you know, just the perspective of the camera and matching shots. really good and at that. He did this throughout his career. I mean, yeah, match shots, definitely. Uh, like you mentioned, the glass plates, forced perspective. But just, you know, the idea of, like I mentioned earlier, he could take something as ridiculous as, okay, here, the same friggin' three columns and two potted plants and then make them into three, four different sets and different yeah. movies. And, you know, people that were even working on a set said, you know, I saw the finished result and I thought it was, like, completely different. Like, oh, my God, where do you get these grandiose sets? But I saw him do it. It was just, you know, this little corner in the as big as your TV set nowadays. And there he is moving plants back and forth. So he really was a genius at that. And, and you know, he grew to be a really talented cameraman. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he was really good. He he He, he is the... <laughs> One of the undisputed kings. I always say one of, you know, again, but he's one of the undisputed kings, you know, in quotations, of uh, setup shots. The guy would do so many setup shots, uh, which is why, um, like, people like Ricardo Freider would use him because Mm -hmm. for some reason, you know, and and I'm going to go on record, I'm not a huge fan of Ricardo Freider. Um, There Mm -hmm. there are films of his I like. I don't... Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I was gonna I, say. I mean, stuff that I really like of his, but yeah, I mean, it's, he's definitely questionable. He's not—he's not as big as his reputation would uh, suggest. Oh, that's well put. Yeah, exactly. That's very well put. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I—I I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, you know, I have no—I have no qualms of you know every you know the whole thing of reviewing things and 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 talking about movies and writing about. Cinema is, you know, it's everyone's perspective. But I've always felt that I could not connect with Fredo. It's just like going on your point there. It's just like art, you know. Yes, talking to different people about art appreciation, you will gain different perspectives, different ways of looking at things. Uh, You can use them based on other pieces of art or other experiences you have and adapt. But basically, like you said, it's all this one person or this five people or this 20 people's particular experience of this object that's, you know, completely unrelated. And to follow you up, uh, uh, just briefly, and we're not really getting away from anything here. No. To follow you up, you know, you, and this is the whole thing about school and art teachers and art professors and the learned and scholastic and students. This is how you learn shit. This is how you learn from people. And you grow appreciation. And, um, but the thing was, uh, I just never could connect with Freda. 
Now, that's not to say I did not like one of his last films, the one with Laura Gimza. Murder Obsession. I was going to say that's my favorite. And I like other Freda films as well. It's just, for me, Freda stands out more for the one amusing story that I'd always heard told about him, where he had one woman who was basically, you know, kicking up a storm and being a real diva. And they had a scene, you know, it was one of these pebbles or whatever the hell, and she's like chained to the wall or whatever. And then he called lunch break. And because she was like that, and he was just like, well, you know what? <laughs> he just walked out of the room and left her chained to the wall for the entire lunch oh, break. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Is that and or Rosal Bonieri, one of those two. I yeah, think yeah. it was Rosal Bonieri, yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. I'm like, wow, this guy's great. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of his actual films, Murder Obsession really stands out the best. I mean, yes, he did things like The Ghost, but, uh, you know, they're not bad. Yeah, you know, Frank Gothics are okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. I don't know. I don't there, see Horrible Dr. Hitchcock as being this wonderful film. It, it's interesting. But I prefer the things that Franco was doing. I prefer the things like uh, people knock at terror creatures from the grave. Uh, things oh, like yeah. that work a lot better. The Bava stuff. Um, you know, the Freitas are cold. And, and it fits. It's his name. He's cold. Icy. Uh, so that's, that's just what is an Italian Freda. Uh So yeah. there you go. His, his films match his namesake. <laughs> Well, yeah, the fun, you know, just to, to sum it up, uh, his reputation is better than the movies. <laughs> yeah, know, so. exactly. But anyway, so we're we're going to jump around to here. And so, Rada was working on uh, E. Vampiri. Uh, yes. Uh, is historically a very important film in gothic cinema, in horror cinema. And um, he really didn't like the movie, from what I can gather. And I've read a lot of stuff over the years before. And he just really wasn't into it. And, and Baba was working with him. Uh, Baba was the cinematographer. And we're not quite sure. There's a lot of different stories, no matter how many books you read by so many people. Uh, um, you know, even the San Lamberto, uh, I'm not sure he's helped clear this up so much as you know, we, we'll never know. But. Something happened, and like Evie and Perry never quite got finished to completion the way it was intended. Yeah, my understanding on Freda's sets in particular, he wasn't the only guy that did this, but he had a yeah. tendency to storm the fuck off the set. He's like, eh, you yeah. know what, it's, it's time for me to go get some coffee. I really don't give a shit about this. Screw these guys, I'm leaving. And, you know, nine times out of ten, if he had a decent cinematographer or a decent DP or a decent, you know, AD, they would come and step in and finish the film. And this happened a couple of times with uh, Bava and Freda, not just Steve Vampiri, but later with uh, Caltechia, the Immortal Monster. And true, true. actually, uh, he did it again with Jacques Tourneur on uh, Giant of Marathon. So, but right. go ahead. Which, yeah, I mean, this is, this is terrific movies. And you know, the funny thing is, though, this is, this happens in America too. You know, people still oh, yeah. the fuck off the set. The thing is, those people usually come back. They end up disowning <laughs> the movie. Uh, right. I, the the older audiences might uh, that people that are listening might know the words Alan Smithy. Yes. This is usually when somebody comes back to a picture, they were forced back by the producers or the, uh, the production companies. Look, you got to finish this movie. They end up disowning it. Okay, that's one thing. In Frida's case, in Ricardo Frida's case, he never freaking came back. Yep. And so you got angry producers. You got you got a cast that's being paid. You got a production that has to be done. 
Yeah, and usually, you know, these are also quick productions. You know, these aren't epic, you know, 17-month movies yeah. like, you know, The Avengers or something. It's just short pictures, but as in terms of production. But um, the guy leaves after two weeks or after a week and a half of shooting, and there's another 14 days or another six days of shooting. What do you do? So, Ava finished the movie. Yep. Um, and don't forget, now, Bava had been, because, again, we're jumping around a little bit. For, since 1943, he'd been doing a lot of these crappy neorealist dramas that everybody loves so much. I can't stand them. Uh, not necessarily his, just in general. The whole genre was, like, a, distasteful to me. Uh, but people love like, it. People swear about it. Blame Rosalini. You know? Yes, yeah, <laughs> Rosalini's one. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, he had done this for almost a decade, I think, before they started doing the Peplas. And then he's, you know, he did some littler ones, but you've got stuff like Ulysses in there. You've got the first two Hercules movies with Steve Reeves, you know, Hercules itself and Hercules Unchained. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, Giant of Marathon, something called Roland the Mighty. I mean, he did this for a while. You know, Esther and the King, everybody knows about Erica the Conqueror and The Last of the Vikings, which were totally his. Um it was like he was cutting his teeth going back and forth between these, you know, Nero's dramas and these sword and sandal peplos, uh, which is kind of a strange dichotomy when you think about it. <laughs> you go into this like fantasy land, you know, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, you know, go fight the Hydra or whatever the hell, and then all of a sudden three seconds later here's a bunch of people wandering around on the on the pier and, you know, bitching about life. <laughs> <laughs> they get to one year don't got two nickels to rub together. Uh well but one was one was art and one was commercial. And, and true. you know, what was what was more commercial? Uh, what got people into the was the public. Right. So um and he actually was involved with the day the sky exploded, you know, some people might remember that one, the cheesy sci fi thing from exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was an Italian-German co-production, or probably Italian, with uh, some German financing. And so they probably added... There's a couple of German actors in that, too. Right, but I mean, and, basically, beyond these couple that we had mentioned here, I think his mm-hmm. first actual credited... Okay, this is Mario Balba's film. We don't have somebody else's name on it. He didn't step right. in last minute to take over for Freight or somebody else. Uh, was Black Sunday. And that's we we mentioned about Franco the other week, well many weeks ago. Uh, that's one hell of a way to debut. I mean, for a lot of people, I'm not one of them. I love the movie, but uh, they would say, okay, that's it. He topped himself right out the, off the you know, coming out of the gate. <laughs> uh, you know, Barbara Steele. I don't know if that was her first of the Italian films she did. Um, no. I, I know Fellini had uh, been involved there with Eight and a Half. I'm not sure if he's the one that brought her to Italy in the first place, because uh, obviously she was an English girl, because um, he had a talent for scoping out interesting faces and personas or whatever. Uh, we talked about Alvaro Vitali the other week. Um, but she did this battery of, I think she only did about eight, uh, yeah, not really all gothic, but you know, horror films in that era. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe six or seven of them were all Italian gothics. And, you know, Black Sunday may have been the best of them. Uh, it's certainly the least uh, inclined to put you to sleep. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like it was the only thing she did. It wasn't the pinnacle of her career. I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, yeah. 
but you know he's got her in this, and she's some unknown girl, uh, really just for their striking look. Like you mentioned, John Richardson's in this thing. Um, Andrea Chechi even from uh, who later be in Bullet for the General. Uh, those of you who are at the spaghetti westerns. And, you know, he's Dr. whatever is Dr. Karabajan or whatever his name was. Uh, Karabajan, that was it. Um, yeah. My experience with this film, I had actually not gotten into it right away because my friend that I had mentioned uh, that, you know, we've met like sixth grade over horror films. He was totally obsessed with this film in a weird way. Like, like the things <laughs> mentioned at the beginning about, like, you know, the, the mask of Satan getting nailed on her face. And he right. would, like. I don't know. His reactions just bothered me. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong? With First of all, what's wrong with this guy? And secondly, do I even want to be watching this movie? So I had kind of, you know, tiptoed around it for several years. Uh, and did you have like an orgasmic thrill as the Neil? Yes. Plums? Yes. Oh, that's exactly it. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? I'm like, oh, whatever. Uh, and remember, he's young too. We're both young. I'm like, uh, so I just uh, kind of walked yeah. away from it. I'm like, I'm not going to deal with this. Uh, <laughs> so I was into other Baba films. You know, I was already into Baron Blood. I thought I saw the, that film on Fright Night. That was probably my first one. I was My mind was blown by that. I saw Lisa and the Devil under its House of Exorcism cut. Hated all the uh, Alfredo Leone the bits that he put in there, knocking off the exorcist in the hospital. But really loved the parts that were still there from Lisa and the Devil, even though it made no sense. And they were kind of chopping in and out. Um, and I had seen other ones, like Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath maybe my first. I think that was my first because I was I actually remember uh, this is how young I was at the time. Uh, I had a babysitter over, and we were like, "Oh yeah, great! I got to see Black Sabbath tonight." And I got so scared by that uh, the corpse in the beginning, uh, drip of water at the end. You know when yeah. it came to life, and uh, she's like, "All right, that's it. You're going to bed." But I still like peeked through the door and everything to watch the movie. Uh, but yeah, that may have actually been my first one. Now I'm thinking about it. But still, Black Sunday, I avoided for a long time. But when I came around to it, I was like, you know, this is really a really good film. I mean, it's one of the best of the Italian gothics, to be sure. Uh, and, you know, you were going on about it before, so do you want to uh, tap into it some more? About what was I going on about? Just about the film itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, the... Uh... It's it's eerie. It's slow paced. I mean, you know, a lot of the Italian, the better, the best of the Italian gothics are slow paced. You know, like it or not, and um, right. as even some of the lesser ones work to an extent. Uh, Black Torment. Uh, that's a British movie. That's a that's a British movie. Heavily, yeah, heavily influenced by the Italian gothic, so that works. It's very slow. Uh, yeah, Black Sunday's slow. Um, these these two doctors, one you know, one's going to a convention, the other one's a young guy. They're you know they're in a, they're in a carriage, they're on the way. They're going to stop overnight in a small town because they're going to a convention. Yeah, but we're, we're paraphrasing for you folks. Um, and then uh, you know the, the carriage stops because something happens, and of course the carriage driver is like frightened. And this is the same thing used much later in Torture Chamber Baron Sadism. Do you remember that movie? The German oh, movie? Oh, I love that one. That, that's actually one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's it's another trope that was used in that same picture. Uh, that other picture, same trope, actually. So anyway, so, you know, they have to repair the carriage, so the guys are walking around and, oh, there's a cemetery here. Cool, let's check it out. Oh, there's a crypt. <laughs> Who goes into a crypt at night? You know, but it's, you know, it's a movie. Well, they, they saw her walking around. There's this hot girl walking two dogs. I'm like, yeah, let's check it out. <laughs> Yeah, but he goes in, and you now of course uh, Javut. Uh, no, Javut was the bag. Doctor, 
whatever his name was. The Kruvian or whatever, yeah. Kruvian, yes, I'm sorry, Kruvian. He goes down, and, you know, there's the plate. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's the Italians uh, back in the day. Actually, it's a cemetery near my house where there are uh, people who have died on the headstones. Real cool. I've, I've gone through there several times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is what we used to do back in the day. They would put a photograph on the tombstone. Yep. And so in this, which takes place on undetermined time period, um, I guess eighteen hundred. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, there, there's like a a fold out with the image of Katya, who was uh, Barbara Steele, who's entombed in this uh, stone thing, and uh, anyway, you know things happen. He cuts his hand, some blood drips in. He covers his hand. I'm okay. Let's continue on. But of course, it's too late because. The blood had dripped onto her, revived her. Now, her descendant, played by the striking young Steele, is <laughs> hanging around and with the two dogs, you know. And then, you know, some things happen. And it's like, I, I know we traditionally at this show do not regurgitate plots, but the setup for this is so interesting. It's like, you have to remember, there's nothing like this before yeah. this movie. Now, if you watch it after you watch other, like after you watch Friday the 13th, and you watch after you watch uh, Hellraiser, and you go watch this movie, oh, what's everybody talking? But no, really, if you actually in, 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 in spend the time and just like block out stuff, don't drink like a maniac, and just watch this movie <laughs> and just take it in slowly, you, you even, realize. Even if you watch other Italian gothics, with the exception of possibly Terror Creatures from the Grave, it's very different. Uh, yeah. And he went back to it in a weird way later when he did what? The Whip in the Body. But that yes. one really sucked compared to this. So there's something special about this movie, not just the fact that it was filmed in black and white, not just the fact that it was his first you know, uh, grandstand move. I mean, obviously he was making movies already, but here he is. This is his name on a project. There you go. Um but it's I don't know, there's just something about it that is special. I do think that even though I'm not sure it's the best of the Italian gothics per se, it's certainly mm. I would hesitate to say that it almost kicked them off. I mean, yes, even Imperial was first. Uh you may have one or two others that just slightly predate it. But you know, we're talking about nineteen sixty. This was really early in the Italian Gothic uh over, if you will. So once again, you know, we'll be talking about later. Bob and Laura less kicked off this subgenre of films, uh, and mm. it's a goodie. So, well, and also, Evan Perry, though it contained many gothic elements, it it actually takes it's a contemporary film, right? It's more it, almost melodrama in some points. Uh, and you know, you've got people here, like I mentioned, Steele did a bunch of uh, films. If you watch these kind of movies, okay, horrible. Like Hitchcock, like I mentioned Eight and a Half, Castle Blood. We talk when we talk Fulci, I talk about the Maniacs, that weird comedy he did with Franco Ciccio. She's in that uh, Nightmare Castle, Terror Creatures from the Grave, Long Hair of Death. Uh, later oh, on, yeah. she's like Curse of the Crimson Altar and Shivers and Piranha. Uh, that, that weird 1991 uh, remake of Dark Shadows that didn't work very well. Um, Richardson. All those Mormons pit in the pendulum. Yes. Uh, John Richardson did stuff like Vengeance of She, Torso, The Church, Eyeball, War of the Plants. I mean, these people would go from this film to make many more, 
you know, not necessarily like it, but that people that are into these sort of films would know. So you're again, it's it's almost like the dawn of a new era. Uh, and it falls right on 1960, so there was just a nice clean break. Okay, we're out of the 50s now. Here's what's coming up. Um, but I don't know. Unless there's anything else you wanted to say about this movie, because otherwise, you know, I want to get the entire plot, and it's kind of silly. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we, and I'll we, also we say another one that borrowed from this liberally, and just in terms of imagery, was Roland. Because think about Fascination or uh, Grapes of uh, Grapes of Death, where you've got those striking images everybody points out all the time. Uh, Bridget Lahaye, either you know, in the one case walking those two dogs as masters, or in the other case, you know, walking around with a sigh or whatever. And you just harken back right here to, oh, wait, there it was. And you mentioned the Poe Gothics, the Corman ones. Well, how much of that stuff, I mean, yeah, okay, that stuff was in Poe already, but how much of it sort of harkened back to Black Sunday? Because, you know, if you look at the timeline, yeah, they were close in time, but they were like a year, two years, three years later. You know, it's very likely that Corman had been exposed to this film. uh, So therefore... You know, how much of what is what, I don't know. But there is a strong possibility that, once again, he sort of kicked the ball off for a lot of stuff here. Um, So he does another one of these, actually it's more of like a biblical uh, pepo sort of thing, Esther and the King, and then Hercules and the Haunted World, which, again, this is the the first one that actually has him on it, period, not just as a cinematographer. Great film. Um, It's probably the best of or one of my favorites of these Peppel sort of things because it's got all these fantastic elements. There's a couple others like this. I know there's uh, Machista Goes to Hell or whatever hell and Goliath versus the Dragons or whatever oh, it was. Yeah. No, Goliath versus the Vampires. Uh, but Which are good too, but um, not as good none as none of them. No, because this has got some really freaky, eerie things going on. <laughs> Very surreal. And it's got a bodybuilder in it. Now, you already had Steve Reeves, but now you've got a guy who was a idol of my father, because my father used to do bodybuilding years before I did, and also Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, both of those guys looked up vastly to Reg Park. He was the biggest guy you could find out there with all these bodybuilders and all these peples that were happening, You know, going all the way from Steve Reeves down to people like Mickey Hargitay, and then you know, once you start going to the 70s crowd that I was into. Uh, Reg Park was probably the biggest of all of them. He was like a tank. Um, and, you know, you've got him in this thing. You've got Christopher Lee is in it, which says a lot right there as well. He was doing a couple of Italian films this time. Uh, I know he did that one with Donald Sutherland. Uh, was that uh, Crypt of the... Uh, what was the name of that thing? You know, they keep putting it under different titles. Crypt of the uh, Living Dead. It was, was it Crypt of the Living Dead? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a couple of these things he had done. And Herc's Own World was a good one. Um... You know, Ida Golly's in this. Uh, you might know her better as Evelyn Stewart. She pops up in a lot of Jollos and things. We'd mention her on other shows. Uh, and somebody named Marissa Belli. But, you know, she's pretty as Zaratusa. Um, basically, you know, without getting into too much, uh, Hercules has to go into hell. It's like a Persephone sort of a myth. Uh, actually, one of the characters is named Persephone. Uh, and... You know, just to get his wife or his girlfriend back from, you know, the, the arms of Hades, who was basically Christopher Lee. And there's a lot of opportunity for fantastic imagery in there. By today's well, yeah. standards... He has to uh, go through, like, an, an almost Jason-like quest yes. Yes. on his way. Yeah. 
it's not quite like you know the Trials of Hercules or whatever, but it's got a lot of the elements to it. And you know, by today's standards, you might say, well, I thought there would be more. Yeah, but the way things were back then, unless you were going to like a Harryhausen epic, you know, Jason the Argonauts or something, this was pretty. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in this film. Uh, and it was certainly loads of entertainment value for you know kids like us uh, through the seventies and eighties. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and Giorgio Arterson, uh, uh did a lot of Euro spy stuff, a couple of jollops. He's uh, Hercules. Well, I wouldn't call him scrawny, but he's, you know, yeah, <laughs> compared to Rich Park, he's kind yeah. of a scrawny power, right? Compared to Rich Park, he's nothing. He's like a toothpick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's Herc's he's you know buddy and like close pal. And actually, you know, I, 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 uh, I forgot the character's name, but, you know, Giorgio bites the dust. It's very well handled. It's yep. a very, yeah, you, you mentioned surreal earlier. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to say it. It's like one of the more surreal sort of sandal films, one of the most successful. And uh, uh, genre elements or not, it's definitely a highlight in the whole genre. Very um, much so. Yeah, um, and, and even though his, his the majority of his Reds' performance is probably you know dubbing, uh, he did he did well. He did well. Yeah, I mean, considering you're talking about a bodybuilder, uh, you know, it, it's not that bad. I mean, yeah, okay, you can say he's stiff, and he is, but you know, if if he, it's not like watching. I hate to single somebody out because I'm amused by him anyway, but like John Michael Thor in a movie or something. It's like, okay, well, you know, he's pulling his own. He does what he has to do. He gets in, he gets out. There's enough believable emotion, like when a friend dies or, you know, his girlfriend gets kidnapped or whatever. All right, it works. Uh, Yeah, and and it's a tricky thing, a tricky thing with these uh, 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 muscle man, uh, sword and sandal, peplum, is that uh, if you want, I've seen a lot of them. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, there was a time I was on the quest to see almost all of them. I think I may have. And, you know, Reg <laughs> Park is one of my favorites. I, there yep, was definitely. something about his presence. And, Reg uh, was definitely one of my top ones. I like Steve Reeves yeah. a lot, but he's a little stiffer. You know, Reg is much looser yeah. than him, if you yeah. go by that yeah. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Reg was definitely one of my favorites. And uh, I think I got to the point where I was like, oh, Reg is in this. I'm going to enjoy this. So uh, so after this, he does a couple more, uh, more or less, not quite peplums, but in that, you know, historical adventure, you know, whatever, going back to the 60s, that was a big thing, uh, which were Eric the Conqueror and uh, I forget what the other title of it, I have his last of the Vikings here, but uh, they put it on something else on DVD. Do you remember what the name was? Was it? It wasn't Eric the Viking. Oh, it was, uh, well, I remember it was Glee and the Sorry. Yeah, yeah, but the, the DVD title is something similar. It says something about Vikings. In Eric the Conqueror? No, Eric the Conqueror was Eric. the other one. Uh, they both, uh, it's tricky because they're very much similar. Both of them star Cameron They Mitchell. are. Uh, the one, which I think is Eric the Conqueror, is a little more small scale and intimate. There's these two hot sisters, and uh, I like that one a lot better. Uh, the other one, The Last of the Vikings or whatever you want to call it, was more uh, like you get with a lot of Peplin. You don't have the fantastic elements. You don't have the Hydra. You don't have the dragon. You don't have the Medusa, whatever. Uh, you're going to have a lot of people going to war with each other. Oh, here's a fight in the battlefield. Hercules will help out. That sort of a thing, but in more of a historical whatever. And I find that um, kind of shit like, boring comparatively. 
So it didn't really work for me. Uh, but like I said, both of them have Cameron Mitchell in it. And, you know, those of you who don't know Cameron Mitchell, you know, call films, what's wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> I can just name off a couple of weird ones like, you know, Night Train of Terror, The Demon, Frankenstein Island, Silent Scream, The Swarm. But the, the guy was in everything. Uh, Edmund Purdom is another one like that. Uh, real weirdo that did stuff like Don't Open Till Christmas, Pieces, Absurd for Joe D'Amato we talked the, about. The thing, the thing with Cameron Mitchell, though, uh, I think – for many years, I think uh, he got a bad rep because yeah, he was a drinker and oh, yeah. uh, not not like Lon Chaney Jr. where he was like, "We better shoot now because he's stoned." <laughs> or, or he was, was a drinker, and Scott, he used Scott Brady, you know, Oh yeah, <laughs> but Aldo Ray, Aldo Ray, another one. Aldo Ray is another bad one. Is sometimes. Uh, and this is very early, so you know he's working in Italy, but he's giving you know uh, all the David Dave Duvall, uh, uh interviews they've been recycling for DVD extras. You know, uh, Cameron has a really good remembrance; he's pretty straight when, he, when he's talking. You know, so he's got a good the guy. The guy could turn in a decent job. Even that weird Filipino thing that Vinegar Syndrome put out. What the hell was that? Raw, raw something. Oh, Raw Force, yeah. Now, that's actually a funny one because he brought his drunken boozehound girlfriend with him. So basically he had yeah. this, like, barroom floozy that he was dating or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you were apart. Yeah, and they did. So, <laughs> And it's a funny well, actually, movie before Cameron that. Cameron pretty good in that, actually. I, oh, yeah. I thought, yeah, I was expecting Cameron, a bullshit, a bullshit drunken one of those guys. No, yeah. he's one of those guys like John Carradine that is very rare that no matter how on the sauce he is, you're going to get a complete shit performance. He, he's, he can always pull it together at least to do a competent performance. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little tougher to say to Carradine when you're looking at stuff like the Al Adamson films, but, you know, or Satan's Cheerleaders, but he still manages to do it. It's not like you mentioned like Lon Chaney or Aldo Ray where it's like, oh my God, can they even stand up? <laughs> Yeah. Forget about the remembering lines. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, or Jane like, Andrews, who was like way, way on the sauce, and people like that. Or uh, who's the guy that actually lost his memory from drinking so much? Uh, the guy that used to be in the Invasion of Body Snatchers. Uh, I forget. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about? You, they actually tried Kevin? to get Edmund O'Brien. Is that his name? Uh, or Edmund O'Brien or Kevin? Yeah. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, yeah. they tried to get him for uh, some film, I don't know, in the late 70s or something like that, and they tried to fly him out to whatever, and he was so screwed up from, like, you know, years of drinking uh, that he forgot, you know, like, got lost going to the airport, and then they found him, and he couldn't remember a single line. They had to, like, dispatch the whole job and get somebody else. Uh, not, never that level. Cameron was always kind of, okay, I can, you know, at least comport myself while I'm getting sauced. <laughs> Yeah, and the uh, thing was though, he's he's one of those. Well, you know, it's 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 that old Keith Richards metabolism, I guess. As a comparison, like as as much as you read stories about Cameron Mitchell, you know, he always, uh, for the most part, delivered a really uh, surprisingly decent job. You know, and he's yeah, pretty even, good in these Viking things. You know. Even in Night Train, the terror, that horrible thing where he was supposed to be the, um, I think he was supposed to be Jewish, hunting that guy that was like a Nazi or some right. crap, and it turned out there was like the devil, and the movie made no fucking sense, it was a piece of crap. But, and he's overacting like crazy, and yet, for the kind of film it was, all right, yeah. you know, I, I could see it, you know, it's Cameron Mitchell, whatever. Uh, so, yeah. So you get those two films. They are what they are. Like I said, I like the more intimate one much better with the two hot girls. But hey, you know, some people prefer the other one. He goes on from that, 
And this is where he really starts getting into his strong films. I mean, from here on out, it's very rare that he does any throwaway films. There's really no more Peplas. There's certainly no more neorealist stuff. Uh, there's really nothing that's just trash. He, everything he's going to have some sort of level of, oh, yeah, I want to see this. Um, one of my favorites, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which uh, was also Evil Eye. Um, Letitia Oman is the lead, which may have been a mistake. You know, she was in G.I. Blues and wasn't too uh, memorable there either. But, you know, for the role, I guess it works. She's not quite as annoying as, like, Doris Day and uh, <laughs> The Man Who Knew Too Much. Uh, but she really is a screamer, and she's hysterical all through the thing. The part calls for it, so that you've got to give her that much credit. But it's like, wow. Uh, even my wife's sitting there watching, like, oh, my God, I want to smack this girl. Uh, <laughs> but you got John Saxon's in it, and John Saxon I just love. You know, He's another one of those guys, like, more so than Cameron Mitchell. He's in it, and it's like, okay, chances are this will at least be watchable just because he's there. Forget about anything else going on. Uh, and he's another one that's in, like, just about everything. You know, just to name, like, a couple of credits. Enter the Dragon, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scorpion Two Tales, Tenebre, Violent Naples, Mitchell. <laughs> uh Let's say Planet Earth, Wonder, the Wonder Woman pilot. Remember that? Uh, these are just genre credits. <laughs> All over the place. Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation with friggin' Fabian and uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Queen Bunch of Blood. Of I mean, movies. Yeah, the guy's everywhere. And, you know, he's always competent. He always does a good job, and he's always eminently watchable. So the fact that he's in this, you know, young John Saxon bouncing around, being basically the hero, but, you know, sometimes you wonder, oh, is he really the baddie or whatever? Because, you know, the way that Bob is filming it, uh, and you're kind of on the side of this hysterical woman, uh, you know, it it really works. Valentina Cortez is in it. Um, It's probably... uh, Dare I say it's the first Jalo? I mean, it may very well be. Uh, it certainly sets the template for what's to come. Uh, yeah. it, it's much more than just mystery, and it's more than just Hitchcockian, even though it is Hitchcockian. Uh, it really kind of goes into that template of Jalo. Uh, you know, can you really say that? I think it was like the ABC murder. Is he really quite on Jalo level? Is it that perverse? Well, I don't know, but. There are definite elements there, especially for 1963 that were like, whoa, whoa, okay. <laughs> Take that back a few steps. Uh, I really, really like that film. Uh, anything you want to say about it before we go to the next one? Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Um, well, uh, Leticia Roman is kind of one of the reverse, uh, one of the reverse occasions where an actress, an Italian actually came over here, did some work, uh, still on TV work, American television. Uh, after this movie, she actually went back to the U.S. She was the man from Uncle, one of your favorites, and a couple of things. And <laughs> um, that was sarcasm. She, she uh, and she, she just never made it. You know, she did that Presley movie prior to this. Um, she was an interesting-looking woman. She was. Uh, she looked like a dyed blonde brunette. Yeah. And but she had I, I don't know how you could say this. She she had like feminine yet harsh features. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was like, I don't really want to say you know, she was a little harsh, a little masculine, but there are features about her that were kinda of rough. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she's so not they're, they're unattractive. It's just kinda of like uh, I'm not yeah, sure. What yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's interesting that, that she got this lead part. And I think one of the bigger interesting things, without spending too much more time in this movie, is that it was co-financed by, I believe, AIP. Um, yes. Because Black Sunday did so well. That's true. Hence, they uh, gave him a little bit more money. This is a contemporary film to the year 1962, so it takes place in 62-ish. Um, the thing is, um, Baba originally shot some scenes um, that AIP did not think would play too well in the U.S. and other countries like England. Right. So they actually had him reshoot some things to kind of tone it down. Was, was that the whole subplot about the drugs? Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. minor subplot about the, 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 the marijuana cigarette. Right. And, uh, and, um, uh, but see, that whole, that totally fucking changes the whole movie, though. Oh, yeah. Once you introduce that, because as she, you know, like today, you know, we've seen so many movies, is, uh, we've seen so many movies where, oh, are they dreaming that was a hallucination that they imagined? Did we just imagine the last two hours? Yep. So that kind of adds a thing. So, you know, the AIP version looks, which re- reduces that whole subtext, plays well. Um, the Bava version plays well, because you enjoy it for what it is. The only thing is, in the AIP version, they did replace a lot of the original uh, soundtrack music. Yes, that's true. Uh, and, you know, I don't know that that was horrible, but, yeah, there is a difference. And you'll notice that with Bob's films in particular, uh, I was happy to get, and I, I think they're bringing them over here now, but I had gotten some Region 2 blues uh, just because for so many years you had your choice. Either, like, on VHS, you just get the AIP U.S. cut, and you're missing a lot of stuff, and you got a different soundtrack and different dubbing, and things are reordered, like in the cases of all these portmanteau films he was doing, or – you got the Italian print, which first came to a DVD with images and stuff like that, and you've got a completely different soundtrack. It's There's other scenes here that don't work as well. It's longer. It's kind of odd. It's only subtitled. You know, it's like, well, which, you know, I, I like a little bit of this, but I like some of that, too. I'm used to this one. How come I have to get stuck with this version? And finally, they put them together on a blue, and you got your choice, and that's the ideal solution for everybody. Uh, well, all, all I'll say is, is poor Kendall Schmidt. Uh, Anybody into genre stuff, they know the name Kendall Schmidt. He was like an in-house guy. He's pretty talented. You know, the guy was a talented freaking, uh, you know, synth guy. Yeah, I think he was in probably in bands and stuff. And um, they had him rescore all these movies because, I don't know, nobody wanted to pay for the rights. I don't know. It's so complicated. Labyrinthian at some point. They did this to a lot. They did this to a lot of British movies, too. Yep. Uh, the Dr. Fives. Um, so Kendall Schmidt will rescore an entire picture, and then you're like, what's different about this movie? You know? And sometimes and, uh, it was an improvement because, you know, sometimes you get those Les Baxter scores or the guy that did Dr. Butcher as opposed to Zombie Holocaust. And it's like, well, I kind of like this one better than the original score, but or even Baron Blood, the same thing. Uh, but then again, there are elements to the original that give it a completely different flavor. Because you're, li- you're watching this movie, and it's got this kind of dark, somewhat electronic, synthesized score. It's got a completely different impact, for better or worse, and usually for better, than it does with a cheesy, loungy, you know, Morricone-esque, you know, Emiliani-type uh, Italian score. Now, there's mm-hmm. a good thing about that, especially like Resort to Lawn and Good Lord. That's, that's really cheesy. Uh, there's a disconnect there, like 
like a cognitive dissonance to the imagery you're seeing versus the music that really works well sometimes. But sometimes it's just a lot stronger to go, you know, full uh, full throttle, go with the gusto and put on like a Les Baxter or something. So, you know, it's nice to have both options. Let's put it that way. Uh, but, uh, so after this, he does the, like I said, I was probably the first film I had seen of his, uh, which is Black Sabbath. Um, this one, again, for Look years... The body first? Uh, I don't think so. I think Whipping the Body was right afterwards. Same year, so it's arguable. Uh, okay. But... Uh, this was the one that originally it was out on like HBO video or something. It had the Lex Baxter cut. It had the um, the re uh, dubbing. The, the middle seat. There's, there's three stories in this one. The one is about the drop of water from uh, Chekhov, which is uh, the best one. I had it's that the really old... Thorn EMI HBO. Remember? Yes, HBO I have that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah terrifying freaking story, especially if you're like, you know, a kid, uh, not even in your double digits, and you see this, like, oh my god. Uh, and, you know, it's an obvious dummy, but it's really creepy, the way they got this distorted face and the huge eyes, and it keeps coming back to life. life. Yeah, and, you know, is it all in her head? Is it all whatever? Is it guilty conscience? Who knows? But it's very atmospheric and very, very good. Um... And the Americans had realized that, you know, this is the best segment here. Let's put this up front. And they got rid of all these silly things of uh, Karloff going around on horseback introducing everything, which are kind of played for comedy. They even got goofy music in the back behind them in the original time. And then they took the weakest segment, which was the telephone. And they no. redubbed it. They changed what it was. Now, some of that was not good. You know, they took out a little bit of the sleazy element. You know, no longer was she having a lesbian relationship with this one girl, uh, but which was a subtext going on through the Italian version. But they made it like the guy was really a ghost instead of just, you know, a criminal Frank. coming back. Is that, Is that better? Frank? Yeah. Yes, Frank. Yeah. Rosie. Uh you know, was it better? Was it worse? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of six and one half dozen in the other. Uh, but you know but what? They, it sounds better in Italian because the, the, the dub the dub version really ruins these fucking things because the dub is always like so bad. It's me. <laughs> I didn't mind it. I, I really. No, I'm but I, I love the Italian the Italian version of this. I think I forgot who the hell put that out. Not too long ago. It was like Bushima. It was like Image or something. But, yeah, yeah. It's like. Very romantic sound. You would be threatening her. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had the Wordalack one, which was you know the second best uh-huh. one. Had Carla in it. You know, chop that damn dog up. Uh, you know, and you've got the severed head and the whole thing with the use of the, the poster art. It was very atmospheric, very dark, very creepy, and it kind of pointed the way to films that he'd be doing after this in terms of lighting and mise-en-scene and whatever. Uh, you would see those same sort of images recurring again in films like um, uh, Blood and Black Lace. And, you know, it, over and over you would see these things happening. You know, you see it in Baron Blood. You would see it wherever. Um, but... Again, the, the Italian version has a little too much of the comedy thing. I'm not too fond of the soundtrack, comparatively, compared to the Les Baxter one. Uh, mm. It's just, you know, which which way do you want to watch it on a, on a given day? Me, personally, I grew up with the U.S. cut. Even though it's definitely got its flaws, I think in a lot of ways the edit was superior. Um, mm. Obviously, you, you think differently, so that's fine. But it's, it's well, again, it's like, you know, you dance with who brung you. Um you know, there's people in this, like, you know, Harriet White Madden's in this, uh, who is a very, 
you know, stand by in not only Italian film, but in cult film per se, uh, an old British woman uh, who was like the maid or whatever in The Drop of Water. And she's in stuff like The Terminator, for God's sake, you know, Death Race 2000, Blood Beach, uh, Murder Clinic, The Ghost, Harvard Lucky Hitchcock, Blood and Black Lives, Black Sabbath, La Dolce Vita. Um, Jacqueline Perrault was the girl that was uh, the baddie there, I guess, if you will. Uh, Mark Damon's in this. Uh, he's in the Verluxing sequence. Uh, he was in stuff like The Devil's Wedding Night, Crypt of the Living Dead. Carla, like we mentioned, Miss Summer C.A. Uh, it's a good film. It certainly was an intense experience seeing it the age that I did. Having seen a lot of other horror films, my father's really into horror shit, and we would stay up late to watch you know, The Night Stalker or whatever the hell. And I saw a lot of films that you know nowadays they wouldn't even dream of showing a little kid. And yet this film had a huge impact on me. So it just shows how strong some of the Euro stuff can be compared to what's going on over here. Um, but I guess I'll close out on that one unless you got something else you want to mention about that film. I, uh, I actually do. Uh, the, the, we mentioned the, the two Cameron Mitchell uh, uh, Vikings slash sword and influence things he did. Now those were in color. Uh, right. uh, unlike Black Sunday and unlike The Evil Eye, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Now, this is in color. So, technically, it's it's Baba's first horror film in color. And yes. the uh, this is where he was also experimenting with uh, uh, gels. gels. You know, yes. Mixing, you know, mixing up uh, the gels on the on, on the, on the light setting. One yeah. of the things I mentioned earlier about how people were copycatting him. I know he claims to this day, oh, no, I had nothing to do with him, even though he brought Mario Bava himself to do some second unit work in on Inferno, so he's full of shit. Uh, But, you know, Dario Argento ripped this blind from him. Uh, Not just other things, you know, he's a scene or whatever, but the use of color gels, the whole thing where he went through a Technicolor for Suspiria, all that. People ripped Argento off, too. Oh, it keeps going, it keeps going. And, and no saying our digital is a talent. I love our gem. Yeah, we well, know that. There's, 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 there's that. And and you know, I I I see what you're saying about the English language cut. Um you know, as opposed to the Italian cut. You know, and then you could you could have either one for you. Yeah. Um uh, I agree the drop of water is probably the most the best episode because it ends on that disturbing denouement. It's like, oh Jesus. No. <laughs> Um, the telephone's always problematic, you know, whether you watch it in the originally intended Italian version or in the olderized American version, um, which is essentially true because they really did change a lot of it. Yeah. Yo, whether it's a great one, I don't know, it's it's entertaining. But you know what? I really like the word a lot because, um... To me, I thought, wow, Leighton's life, they got a really decent performance out of Boris Koloff. Oh, yeah. And it's atmospheric as hell. So we're going from the witch-vampire thing of uh, you know, Black Sunday to a uh, decidedly, because it was based on the, you know... Uh, Google, gosh, I think. Yes, Google. And it's Russian vampire. And notice no. this. We've got two stories by Russian short story authors here. I mean, if, if you want to stick with famous short story people, he only need to throw Saki in instead of the telephone. It would have been perfect. <laughs> if you could go yeah. and check off. But, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, I totally agree that the film, even though I prefer the tighter U.S. edit, it it also loses some things for sure. And you know, in terms of Carlos' performance, when you think about, it, I'm, did I'm, you mention that? I'm like, you know, you're right. It was a really strong one. And I'm going back, and yeah, I like a lot of Carlos stuff right up to the end, but. Really, you have to go back to the early black and whites for him to be giving this much to a performance. It's rare. He does not do this. And even in some of, not the ones where he's on horseback, which is just kind of cheesy, those interstitials, but where he's in his suit and tie and talking to the audience, those things that everybody knows from both cuts of the film, it's still, he's really kind of, you know, doing his best to give people the creeps. Uh, I am very impressed with him in this movie. And it is a fall-off movie. Right, and then and then the warlock, he's menacing. Oh, he's yeah. menacing, and he's that, that just with the dog that I quoted. That, that was freaky. I'm like, oh my god, kill it! What's <laughs> your favorite dog? Yeah, yeah, he's dangerous. <laughs> he's dangerous. I mean, all right, you know there, you know Frankenstein, blah blah blah, the mummy, blah blah blah, 1930s Universal films. Yeah, you know, we all grew up with those on TV when we were kids. You know, even if if for us. Those are movies that were decades earlier. We we still watched them when we were growing up. They were they were on you know all the time. But for a later performance, it may be his most you know, intense. Because even I'm thinking yeah. about okay, something like Die Monster Die, he kind of throws himself into that at points. Not like this. This was oh. he, like you mentioned. He was savage at points, and not just the dog thing, but just all through it. I'm like. Wow. And he's sitting there by the fireplace, and he's arching his eyebrows, and that could really go camp. You know, he really could sit there and go, oh, God, Bella Lugosi or whatever, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Not in the least. You look at him like, oh, okay. (laughs) Something's wrong here. You know, you can feel it. And that says a lot. For a guy that was probably 60-something at that point, that's really uh, a good performance. not older. not older. No, he died in 68. He was nearly 80, right? He was nearly 70, possibly. Yeah. And, and uh, legend is, though, he got sick on the shoot because they were uh, very, very cold studios. Ah. And, um, yeah, and this was the sickness to stay with him till the end. You know, he got progressively yeah. ill over the years. Unfortunately, uh, he, uh, Baba followed this up with a very romantic, gothic. Yeah. Here's movie. the one I mentioned before. He was trying to redo in certain ways, in certain respects, Black Sunday, but lost all of the, well, not all the gothic atmosphere, but a lot of it. And it's not just because it's in color. And you still got Christopher Lee in the damn thing. Uh, But I don't know. It just, it doesn't work. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, it's so perverse, you know, whatever, because basically, you know, Dahlia Lobby's in it. Um, Very... Yeah, zoftig, sexy Israeli woman. Uh, she's in stuff like you know the Bat Helm, the Silencers, the Return of Doctor Booze, and things like that. Uh, but you know her whole shtick is she's got this ex lover who basically is dead, and she keeps seeing him. And is he really there? Is a ghost? Is he not? Is he just in her but head? She never changed she likes, her hair. And she likes getting <laughs> whipped by him. That's the whole shtick. So it's like okay, well yeah, okay, that's kind of kinky, fine, but. And that's it. That's all you got to offer. And yes, they've done a nice Gothic castle when they're out there on the cliffs, but it feels kind of William Castle, but even more, um, like you said, more romantic and soft soap than that. Uh, Tony Kendall's in this from the Commissar X series. Uh, and, and like, waste, I, yeah, and I feel they waste Tony Kendall. 
Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't really do anything. Uh, Return of the Blind Dead, he was in Laura Wise Grass, Django, The Fight of Sartana, Three Fantastic Supermen, Ida Gali, we mentioned, he was, she was in this one again. Uh, just for those who don't know Evelyn Stewart, the uh, movie she was in with, like Murder Mansion, The Psychic for Fulci, Syndicate Sadist for uh, Lindsay, uh, Weekend Murders, Eagles Over London, Hercules in the Haunted World from before, and Harriet White Madden again, and Luciano Pagazzi, who was a very amusing regular that would pop up in these things. Um, my I, iconic role, if you want to call it that for him, was in um, Baron Blood. Uh, Flitz, don't you ever, ever dare do that again! But he was kind of like a Peter Laurie for Italy. But Laurie, to me, I know he did M. He was always just kind of like a sad comic drunk. He never really did anything for me. He was just kind of like some pop-eyed freak that was always kind of there. It's like the hunchback, more or less. Pagazzi, he could do... Sinister, as well as just being like the kind of whatever you know, comic psychic, and sometimes he can be likable. I think a lot of people would debate the Peter Laurie thing with you because you know, I'm sure they would. But... Bogart, you know, Maltese Falcon, and shit like that. You know. I didn't find him that. I mean, I know he's trying to be more intimidating in that role. That's true. That probably is one of his stronger ones. But he wasn't really. Again, I think he was working his M thing in that point, which was his, okay, I'm going to be sinister. But for the most part, like I said, I just see him as kind of a sad, drunk, and comic relief. Uh, oh, sure. Pagazzi, <laughs> I never really got that out of. Pagazzi was always more, uh, he could play a couple different things. He could be, you know, likable, empathetic, uh, sidekick sort of a figure. He could be the sinister type. He could be the, you know, hunchback weirdo type that they like to put him in those all the time. Um, all of those kind of worked. So, you know, the film should have worked just going by the disparate elements we're rattling off. And yet, you know, it's watchable, but it's boring. You know, I think every time I watch it, I put, it puts me to sleep. <laughs> which is which is probably why why AIP didn't pick this up for the U.S. And a small company called Thunderbird Films, sounds like a porno, uh, picked <laughs> it up. And they cut the hell out of this thing down to yes. 70 minutes. Yeah, was and that they the original called Washington? <laughs> yes, yes. And um I, and I actually, old, if you look in the old reference books, whether they be horror books or just like something crappy like Leonard Malton from back in the day, they'll say what? And it's like, yeah, that's an app title. It's like what the hell's going on here? Nobody can understand it because the edit was so bad. But yeah, go ahead. Right, with an exc well what with an exclamation point actually. And they they tried to they tried to make this uh what were we talking about? Sixty three, sixty four yeah, 63, tried, yeah, so Thunderbird tried to uh, cut it into almost like a, uh, I don't know, a sexy, dark, something weird kind of movie for theaters, trying to get some play out of it, you know? Right. And it's just, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a gothic thing that just didn't work anyway. So even the longer version, though it looks very nice... <laughs> I have yeah, no, it's a pretty it. film. It's just, and uh, although that's nowadays with the restorations, because the older ones, like you mentioned, Thunderbird, it was always one of the most washed out of his films. The, the, the yeah. tint was practically green on some of the VHS copies I had had. Uh, and you know, it's one of those films, like you had mentioned, where you keep wanting to give it a try. It's like, well, there's something there, and yet it just never gels. So, uh, and, I, and I think seventy minutes is being generous because I think I had at one time. A version of what? That was like 62 minutes. I was like, wow, yeah. it's over. I, when you said that, I was like, oh, I thought it was 63 minutes we were talking about. <laughs> uh, 
So then he does a film that actually was very successful, which was Blood and Black Lace. Now, if you didn't think that um, Man Who Knew Too Much Evil Eye was a Jalo, this one definitely is. This one definitely kicks off the Jalo cycle, and it is you know the earliest, if not for the other one. Um, Cameron Mitchell's in it again. Uh, Eva Bartok, who was kind of popping around these things at the time, but, you know, pretty enough. Uh, I think she was Czech girl. Um, it involves mysteries, uh, mysteries, murders around a fashion house. Uh, very, very typical giallo with elements of the Italian Gothic. Very atmospheric. It's where you really start getting that sort of a uh, barren bloodish feel to it. You know, waving signs and the with the gel lights on them in the wind at night. You know, you go in there and it's just spooky old whatever it is. In this case, it was a fashion house, and you know who knows what dark doings are going on inside. It, it's the stuff of nightmares, uh, which is why this stuff is so so successful. And and really, nobody did it as well as Bava. I mean, later people could pick this up and work with it. You know, somebody like Argenta, for example. Uh, but especially at this time, this was just like he was totally in his own league. And like I mentioned at the outset, uh, I found that nobody knew who the fuck he was. I was talking about him in the 70s when I discovered these things and in the 80s. And people were like, who are you talking about, man? <laughs> Even people that are into yeah. horror films, and not just like slasher films. Like, okay, yeah, I like these old horror films from the 70s or whatever. I watch, you know, whatever, uh, Bob Clark films or, you know, whatever. Uh, they had no freaking clue who I was talking about. I was like, no, no, this guy's great. you got to see this. And, you know, sure enough, it took until I really think it was Tim Lucas talking about him all the time in Video Watchdog because it was in the 90s. And all of a sudden people are talking about Bob. I'm like, wait a minute, somebody else knows about Mario Bava, really? <laughs> It was actually that kind of a revelation. Like, wow, okay. I've only been talking about it for like 20 years. But, uh, so these never really caught on here, even though they were, not regularly, but you know, aired enough, at least in the New York area, uh, throughout the 70s and 80s on things like Fright Night. And uh, like you mentioned, I don't know if it was Chore Theater, but the Channel 11 thing at nighttime. Uh, actually, I think they show Black Sunday at like primetime months, like 8 o'clock at night, on like a Tuesday or something stupid. Uh, again, I know because of my weird friend there. But uh, so I don't know what what else is there to say about Blood and Black Lace. Do you have anything you want to add about this one? Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, it's uh, if 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 the evil eye was the the, the idea for the Giallo format, this was definitely the blueprint. This was yeah. definitely like everybody copied and pasted this thing. Now, yep. This is, you know, today computers copy and paste. This is the this is the baby. This is the real it's true. deal. Because they actually it's went to the brutal. template and just copied and pasted sections of it wholesale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how he got away with some of the violence in this? It's it's it's. Uh, I don't want to go into it because I think it should still be surprising for people who want to discover this movie. Um, hopefully, us talking about it might make some sadistic bastards out there um, say, "Really? Is it that violent?" Oh, yeah. It is. For, for the time, yeah, it's really rough. <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. Uh, it's uh, it's shocking. It's uh... And yet, what really makes it work for me is it's not full-on modernistic Jalo, even though it is modern day and very much Jalo uh, template. Yeah. Uh, it's still got some gothic elements to it, and that's what's oh, yeah. special about it, Bava. And it's, and it's got a little bit of that Edgar Wallace thing going on yes. in there. You know, we got, we got at some point, we got like 
15 freaking people? Like, who is it? Yeah. <laughs> yep, and they're which all is, guilty, which is part of the Jalo anyway, but yes, definitely Edgar Wallace was the yeah, blueprint for that. Yeah, but the Jalo the also is born out of the Edgar Wallace thing, which we'll talk about uh, at that show, which is bound to be a lengthy one, because there's a lot <laughs> to say about that. Yeah. No, yeah. but I'm going to enjoy that one, because there's a lot to say, because it influenced the Jalo, and, you know, it's like a big wraparound cheesesteak, you know? It's tasty, but where did it get made originally? So, um, um, I like the hell out of this movie. Uh, yes. It's called, again, with the gels. You know, we mentioned about the uh, the previous film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the lighting, uh, uh, the move, there's blood. And, you know, the funny thing was, the ed- editing of this movie is that this got cut down a lot. And I recall seeing my first exposure was uh, American television. And uh, I was, it was, I really liked it. And it wasn't until years later when I saw a uh, uncut version of this, or as close to uncut. Now, you know, of course, this is years later, decades later. But we got as uncut as we can get. But when I saw an even more uncut, as opposed to the TV version I was watching, mm-hmm. I was shocked at how brutal it was. You know, remember the the the, the girl, the German actress who was drowned in the bathtub. Yes, I was thinking about that scene, yes. Yeah, 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 there's all those great stills of, like, hey, we could see her nipples, but in the TV <laughs> version, of course, you know, she's in dirty water, and then, of course, yeah. in the other version, you can see that. But more so, there's the woman whose head is smashed against a tree, mm-hmm. which is, it's a cutaway in the other versions. You know, in here, it's just, like, you know, it's brutal. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff going on. There is one problem with this movie, though, kind of like I was mentioning before about um, uh, whipping the body. This film, at least in this country, seems to have gotten co-opted by VCI, who really doesn't give a flying fuck about their uh, films. And after, I think, two or three releases on DVD, and now I think there's one on Blu-ray, it's still the same crap print. They they never want to let it out to somebody else who will actually restore the goddamn thing and give us a decent print. It's one of my favorite Mario Obama films, and yet it's always going to look like shit until these people just uh, just give up finally and give it away. (laughs) So uh, did uh, did you ask Tim Lucas this? Because, I mean, how does VCI, of all people, have, like, hold on this? It's mind-boggling, and actually, I saw another one that you know it doesn't matter as much because I, you know, it's it's a crappy film in the first place from the the print always. But uh, children shouldn't play with dead things. They've had a hole in us for how many years now? Give it up already. But, Let somebody else fix it up. But I think I think Arrow I think Arrow is actually coming out with this. Are they I finally think, yeah. okay? Because they did a lot of the Baba films. Those, that's who I got those ones from. I was mentioning earlier, but I have not it's seen one. one of their, they skipped one black place so. It's going to be one of the key U.S. releases. Yeah, if they and finally pull I, it out, I'm definitely grabbing that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to be a little... Now, here's another thing. I've been noticing a upswing in prices for Blu-rays. Oh, yes. I've been very annoyed about that? that. Yeah, especially on Blu-rays. Uh, and a lot of yeah. them are actually from Arrow. You're lucky if you can get the damn thing for 20 bucks. I'm like, that's a lot of money for a movie. And they want 35 and they're listing them at 50 I'm like, what are you, crazy? $40? Wait up, people. All you people, Arrow, whoever you are, that's a fucking movie we were talking about. Nobody's going to pay 50 bucks for it. Blow me. I think the Arrow ones are going to be pricey. I just saw on Facebook today... Code Red is putting out one of my favorite movies. And they're, they're idiots anyway. Uh, Which one? Ray, uh, oh, the, the, uh, the Devil's Wedding Night? No, Vampire's Night Orgy. 
Oh, it's and, out right now. Uh, go, go over to Big, uh, Big Cartel, his Big Cartel site. He's got it out yeah. today. Oh, he's got it out today? I actually have it, but I have it on DVD, and I usually don't upgrade DVDs to Blu-rays unless it's, you know, I really got a shit print, and this is a new company doing it or whatever. But, well, yeah, he put it up there. There's a lot of stuff, whether, you know, they, they're just porting over the same DVD print through Blu-ray, which is a waste. But he wants like thirty dollars. Like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem with him. He does that too. Uh, but you know, for him, sometimes I'll bite the bullet if I don't have the movie ready. Not not to upgrade it, but just well, because. Anyway, this, this Arrow oh, yeah. release, though, even at that price, I'm sure they're going to have like a spectacular. Oh yeah, uh, no, I'm definitely looking forward think... to it. It's just they really yeah, need to rethink the pricing lately. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of the Arrow stuff is pricey, though. Yeah. Um, uh, so. He actually made a weird step, uh, not even back, sideways. He did something called the, the Road to Fort Alamo. And right, I'll jump over one film to say that he also did Knives of the Avengers. So he did three Cameron Mitchell Viking films. Uh, this one's also got Giacomo Rossi Stewart in, who was in stuff like Last Man on Earth, you know, the Vincent Price version of the Omega Man, Kill Baby Kill, War Between the Planets, Emmanuel in Bangkok, War of the Robots, Death Smiles on a Murder, Crimes of the Black Cat, Shanghai Joe. Uh, but, you know, is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. There's a little bit... I'll say this about Nice of the Avenger. There is a slight Jalo-esque element to it. If you could say that about a Viking yeah. historical pepla, uh, there are moments to it that are kind of like, oh, that's interesting. It's kind of atmospheric and weird. But, you know, well, it still is. You bring, you bring up a point, though. I, I wanted to address that. When, when at this stage where... where, where I was it just where Mario is doing outdoor shots, and you know we're talking about biking, we're talking about pepper type movies. A lot of it is outdoor stuff. Um, right. His 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 handling of realist, realistic, let's say in quotations, realistic scenes, just is not as strong as anything studio set. You know? Right. Where he has full control over the color and everything else, working his magic with the camera. And I always I always thought that. Which is probably one of the reasons why I hate Kidnap, one of his last uh, released films. Uh, yeah, it's not a great one, but okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. No, but it's it's like I think he falters sometimes with with outdoor stuff. But I know what you I see what you're saying though about the the Jalo feel and some stuff for that movie. Yeah, I yeah. See. So in between, he does a sci-fi film, which is one of his rare ones. I think he'd only done uh, Kautiki, the, the Immortal Monster, which he took over from Freda, um, other than this, which is Planet of the Vampires. And again, it's an influential film. Ridley Scott ripped it blind for Alien. He ripped Great it blind film. for Alien. And then, of course, Coatsy ripped it blind for Contamination. Uh, but, you know, we're going step by step down, like you were talking about earlier. Uh, one person rips off from another one, rips off from another one. That's the way the Italians and everybody else works in this kind of film, this kind of genre. Uh, but Planet of Vampires is this creepy-ass... Uh, and remember, we're talking about early to mid-60s sci-fi, which is really kind of dry, especially the Italian stuff. There's a lot of colored lighting. Uh, probably, and people hang me for saying this one, but the best and most entertaining example is the green slime. So if you know what you're getting into there, or if you've seen enough Godzilla films, you kind of know what you're getting into with these, but they're usually more boring. Uh, people in really ridiculous... Outfits that kind of look like Woody Allen dressed as the sperm and everything you want to know about sex. <laughs> and they like go around in the spaceship and they sit there and bicker for about an hour and a half. And then they show some really bad, you know, Star Trek y rear projection type stuff on their big view screen. 
and oh, maybe some little like it? <laughs> well, no, this is just Italian sci-fi per se. Uh, and yet, in the middle of this kind of crap, you've got Mario Obama doing this one, which is completely different. I mean, okay, yes, you've got elements of that in the beginning, but they oh, land on this so planet. You, you, you were compared to like a, uh, Alfonso Bresca type of right? <laughs> I like Alfonso Bresca, but no, this is that's more like typical sci-fi, you know, the Margarita sci-fi. The, the whole, like I was just describing there, that's Italian sci-fi, especially from this period. But you get something like Planet of the Vampires, and all of a sudden it's like, Wait a minute, the Atlantis planet's covered in fog. There's like corpses laying everywhere. You know, all of a sudden they bring back this plague. People start coming back to life, dead crew members. Um, it's really, you know, are they really vampires? I don't know, but it's creepy as shit. And it's kind of like a slow burn. You know, if you just watch it, you know, casually, you know, you're eating your lunch and cooking dinner and, uh, you know, cleaning the house while it's gone, you might not notice it. But if you sit there and kind of pay attention to it and let it dig in, after a while, all this kind of slowness and you're kind of getting lethargic or whatever, and then you're like, ooh, ugh, really? That's what's going on. Okay. <laughs> and it's like you, you get the shudders from it. It's really a, a good film, and that's why really Scott stole it blind for Alien. Alien was more bombastic, obviously. It was you know the late 80s, oh, actually late 70s, early 80s. Uh, they had a huge budget. They were doing more of like a, a Star Wars-ish sort of uh, milieu. Uh, but it really, the, the elements that worked so much about that film was not, it's you know, that's the problem with movies nowadays. They think, oh yeah, just throw a lot of money and do a lot of special effects, that'll make a film. No, that makes crap. What makes the film good, the elements that actually work, were basically what he stole from Bava here. This film is, for Italian sci-fi, mind you, it's not you know, necessarily a horror film per se, but for one of these, it's outstanding. It, it probably is the best of all time sci-fi films. So, is there anything you want to say? <laughs> well, um, I, I absolutely love this film. Uh, I think it's one of the movies I watched the most in my life. One of the most watched movies I have seen. Um, it, the color... Uh, yeah. Colors the the what he achieved on the bare bones budget. Um, Barry Sullivan is is fine. Uh, um, the cast is fine. Uh, Jack Stewart's in this thing again. Yeah, smaller role. Um, but it's eerie. It's eerie as hell. You know. So what did Bob figure out? Okay, we got the set. So how do I resurrect the dead? So he had this like. Uh, uh, three, no, probably 30 mil plastic, 30 mil uh, straight plastic that these guys, when they resurrect off the, off the ground, they tear the way through this plastic and he cranked, he cranked the camera in slow-mo. So he has the fog rolling in, which is supposed to be the atmosphere of the planet. Very eerie. Um, very strange things going on in this movie. Uh, I, I, I like it. Yeah, it's a kind of, like I said before, with Black Sunday, you know, it's like, like akin to that. It's a kind of, if if it's a Baba movie, I'm highly recommending it. Like, you can't have distractions. You have to sit down and watch this thing and devote the time. But that also means, though, it's not going to say you're going to come away loving it. I mean, you could still be predisposed to hating it, which means why bother? But if you're open enough, this is a really good really good movie. It, you know, yeah. even for its time period. 
And interestingly enough, you know, with, with the alien comparisons inevitable. I mean, there's so many movies that stole from Planet of Vampires. But if you see Prometheus, the Ridley Scott picture that he was trying to rework Alien, it's like he went back to Planet of the Vampires. Because <laughs> there are ideas in Prometheus that appear on Planet of the Vampires. So I'm really, really interested where he's going now with this whole thing, because he wants to link Prometheus to Alien, which is a film he's, he pretty much stole from Mario Bava, possibly <laughs> idea. Yeah, Bava so, and throwing H.R. Giger, and there you go. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a very, very influential influential film. And um, now Barry Sullivan's before, you know, Barry Sullivan's, uh, we mentioned a bunch of bruising actors earlier. I, I don't want to put it out there that he was that kind of guy. I don't know much about him. Uh, he really was on the, the down downward spiral of his career. You know, he was uh, a really decent television actor. Not so much successful in features, but uh, he did a really good job in this movie. Kind of yeah. dropped the ice commander. I like I like how, I don't want to give anything away, but I like how the end of this movie, as many times as I've seen it, it's like, because I always forget the end. It's like, oh shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a really good twist at the end, which, which I like. Good yeah. movie. So then he goes on to do Kill Baby Kill, which is a really effective film that Fellini stole blind for, as we mentioned the other week, for Spirits of the Dead, where he did the Toby Dammit, Never Bet the Devil You Had One. Uh, it's arguable whether Fellini did it better or not, but it was definitely stolen from this. There's no question about that. Um same atmosphere, same creepiness. There's this whole business with a ghost floating around. Again, Jack Morrissey Stewart's in this. Erica Blanc is in it. Those of you who uh, listen to our French show about Devil's Nightmare. Uh, she was in stuff like So Sweet, So Perverse, The Commissar X, uh, at least one of the films, The Red-Headed Corpse. I mean, I used to love this woman. Uh, and she's in this. It's one of her younger roles, so it's not like when she's really, you know, Devil's Nightmare level. But still. Um, Pira Lilly's in this, who was in uh, a couple of westerns like Django Kill, Shanghai Joe, My Name is Nobody. Uh, Luciano Catanacci's in this, who was in Crime Boys. Do you remember the uh, the sequel to Super Cop, uh, the Super Cops with uh, Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill? Yeah, they actually did. I, they used to show this on HBO all the time. And actually, if you know anybody from my high school, they will quote all the time like me doing uh, lines from the Super Cops. I loved this freaking film. Uh, and the sequel was, I don't know if it was any better, but it was the same idea, and it had Laura Gemser in it, so you can't go wrong there. Uh, <laughs> so he was in that. He was in stuff like Almost Human, How to Kill a Judge, Syndicate Status, a lot of stuff we'll be talking about when we do the Police Otachi show, uh, Short Night of the Glass Dolls, uh, if we ever do a Jollo show. It's basically there's a, once again a mixture of gothic and I don't know what the, the, the same line of thinking that he's doing with films like um, uh, the last couple like Black Sabbath and um, you know Blood uh, Black Lace that that's sort of a vibe but more okay you're in an old village on the side of a mountain everybody's superstitious there's this business about like uh, coins. That is, you know, like you bury the old superstition where you bury somebody with coins in their eyes so they have like the, a ride for across the ferry for the Karen or whatever the hell. 
Uh, but somehow the coins are appearing inside people's bodies, and it's very strange. And there's a ghost floating around, but it so works. It's just a creepy little freaking film. Uh, anybody that's seen it either likes it or is affected by it somehow. And like I said, Fellini stole it to do his own uh, variant, which was, you know, easily equally as effective, if not better. But uh, that's where he got it from. Um, is there anything you want to say about this one? Because I like this film. It's just I'm not sure what to say I about do, it. I do. I do. And I want to go on record saying this is my very favorite Mario Bobby film. Really? It is. Uh, I've always loved the simplicity of this movie. Yes. And what he achieved with it. You know, again, there's the tropes of the carriage. You know, uh, the doctor is, is riding the carriage in a small town. So he shot it in a bombed-out village uh, affected by World War II. And uh, so, you know, what, what more can you do? It's supposed to take place at the turn of the century. So this fucking uh, village has been obliterated. And uh, so some buildings are still left standing, others not. And so, uh, you know, the, 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 the whole thing with the creepy villagers and the superstition. Uh, who's the actress that plays the local... Ruha, the local witch. Who is oh, that? I know he uh, mean. I I don't know the name. Yeah, um, got her name. I said her name with the black hair, uh, striking face, striking face. Uh, she's just terrific, and uh, and and the guy who plays the mirror. You know, you just mentioned him, and goes out. You know, uh, you know, because we got all these people. This week, you know, it's just. Oh, here you go. Fabian Dali is the one you're looking for. Yes. Yes, Fabian Dali. Where I saw her in a few movies. This is, I think, she was used never as well as she was used here. Yeah. Um, she's just terrific, and yeah, you know, there's so much freaky stuff going on. There's the stuff with the girl, the little girl. You know, you mentioned you know uh, Fellini stealing from this, but you know, the, the little girl writes in the uh, swing. And then she's not there. She's there. She's not there. The creepy yep. laugh. Creepy yep. fuck. You know, kids freak me out anyway. So <laughs> this little girl creepy laugh thing going on. And um, there's this great shit in here. There's like Jack Stewart is following somebody who's following somebody. who's following, He's going through his doors. He goes through doors. One of the best scenes in cinema, I think. He's following himself. It's short. What is it, two, three minutes long? Yep. Or maybe it's long. And it's like, wow, that's great. That's freaky. Wow. He opens up, and he grabs him. It's him. And don't really? forget, there's this thing going on in Italian cinema that Bobby uses a couple times. I know he uses it again in Baron Blood, for example, uh, of the, the little red-headed girl somehow being uh, attached to the supernatural or bad luck. I mean, you get it in things like Night Child, Fulci uses it in House by the Cemetery. Uh, it just keeps popping up. Uh, usually it is somebody like Nicoletta Elmi. It's not her here, but no, I don't know what it is. Yeah. There's something about you know the little red-headed child that you know, makes this and sort of... He gets a sexual charge. Like, there's another thing, too, because uh, this uh, woman's daughter had seen the ghost child. So mm-hmm. her mother's so puritanical, she, the, the daughter must be punished for this. So they bring in the local witch witch chick. Yes. Wow, what was that? Whips her back with, uh, uh, what was it, thorny 
the thing or something? Yes, it's like a bramble uh, or something, yeah. Bramble. Okay, that's yeah, I think you're right. It's a bramble. And and you know, it draws blood and what girl screaming and you know, in a way it's also very fetishy sexual. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think he was very well aware of that. I think you know Yeah, I think Bob was a strange guy because yeah. if you look at him as a person, everybody always talks about his great sense of humor. And yet, you would think that meant he was an extrovert. And yet, I understand he was kind of an introvert. He didn't like dealing with people that much. And yeah, then you've the got intro- stuff we like... Know, we, yeah, we know it's the introverts you got to watch out for. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But then you've got stuff like this where he does this really... And as, as we've already mentioned it a couple of times, like with, with the body, for example. He's told this really kinky shit out of there. And yet, I understand he was a family man and he was very much yeah. like... You know, code the line sort of thing, and you know, good humored, and you know, uh, above board, if you will. So it, there's a strange dichotomy there to how much was, you know, coming from what parts of this person, you know, this whole human being. And that's another thing that makes Bava interesting. It's not he's not a one note joke. There's there's a yeah. fully fleshed out human being there that uh, you see different aspects of, and a lot of them are really I- quirky. <laughs> And before we leave this movie, there are other things in it that really affected me. Uh, stay with sure. me. Uh, that uh, that people so frightened would rather die. Yes. I mean, we we got people who would throw themselves from a parapet yep. onto a freaking spike onto fence. Onto the spike, there's a spike trellis, yeah. I was like, wow, yeah, there's a the trellis. <laughs> there, there's the... There's uh, there's that great scene. I mean, even in a dub, bloody dub version, it plays well, where the mayor, who's so frightened, so frightened, is 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 going to acknowledge that, well, my death is going to come because, you know, I'm living in this village and this is what's what's what happens and I can't fix it, so I'm going to die. And you know what? She's coming for me, but I'm really freaking scared that she's coming for me. Really well done. Yep. Really yep. well done. I, 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 you know, I mean, there are other movies. You know, we mentioned Black Sunday. We mentioned Black uh, 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 like Sabbath, or, you know, Evil Eye. And I'm going to mention a couple of other ones. But for me, this is my very, very favorite. And um, and that's actually another day, point to what I was mentioning before about the dichotomy here. Because this is a guy where a lot of his films point to the irresistibility of fate and an overbearing sense of yes. doom. I know I'd heard people, and Tim Lucas for one, mentioning how this particular film has this overarching sense of like the, everybody in this village and everybody that's involved with it is doomed and there's no way to get out. Yes. And yet, this is a guy, like I said, that had a great sense of humor and that was kind of, you, you would think, far from fatalistic. Not even to the point where Fulci, okay, some people said he had a good sense of humor, some people didn't. But, you know, you knew what his story was, especially after his wife committed suicide. Bava was not like that. Bava was a, a jokester. You know, he was a comedian, more or less. And yet, you get almost time and time again with his films, you get this sense of darkness and gothic oppression. It's like, wow, there's really no fucking way out. It's almost like Spanish horror in that respect. And that, mm-hmm. again, it's fascinating, so... All right. So is there anything so else you want to No, I feel strongly about that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then he goes in and takes a real right turn and does. And it was a work for hire. And he admits right from day one he didn't even want to do it. It was just for money. Uh, I think AIP threw it at him. Dr. Goldfoot and the girl bombs. 
Uh, Vincent Price is in it. Fabian. Oh my God, I almost forgot about that one. Franco and Chicho <laughs> are in it. Laura Antonelli's in it. So you figure, okay, well, at least maybe Franco Chicho and I get a weird laugh. Fabian, okay, well, that's kind of campy. Laura Antonelli, all right, she's kind of cute. Vincent Price is in it, all right, that's campy. People like that. It is fucking awful. It's like a spy spoof. It's like, it's like a beach party movie. And, you know, Frankie and Annette go to Italy. It, it's horrible. Um, now, is it worse than Dr. Goldfoot in the Bikini Machine, which she didn't do? No, not even close. Bob at least gives a little bit of that Italian flair to it. Yeah, it yeah. still kind of sucks. I mean, I showed it to my wife. She's like, what the hell? This is my real Bob? What is this crap? <laughs> and she likes the beach party movies. So that should say something. Uh it's real. Well, I think I think I think this happened because the Euro spy thing was so popular, yeah. so popular here. The Italian, uh, the, the German Spanish co-production was so bloody popular, and they're figuring, you know, this guy is churning out really interesting fucking movies. Yeah, let's give him one of these. But all they probably had on hand because he was not the in-house guy, but working with IP, AIP. I think what happened, you know, I, I could be wrong. Tim Lucas can make me over the cold. You know, I, I can't remember everything from that big book. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's you know, where he interviewed lots of people who thankfully are still alive, that worked on a lot of things. But, yeah, it's just quite possible that, that the these things that were so popular, the AIP had this project and said, well, let's make a sequel to this. And, yeah, no, it doesn't work. But it is better than the original one. Yeah, exactly. And then he does a forgettable western that nobody even remembers exists, which is a gunman called Nebraska. Uh, and then he does. Hey, did you really? Did you want to comment on it then? Or no? No, it's forgettable. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, nobody even knows this damn thing exists. Like, what? Is there a film in between here? Uh, so was Roy called Winchester Jack. I thought that was forgettable too. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, I'd seen that one. <laughs> um, so. He does another spy film, but it's more of like the Italian Fumetti thing. Like, there was a couple of, uh, there's a little craze for a while for these Italian Fumettis, which were kind of photo books with almost like superheroes, but they were criminals. Like, one was called Criminal. So, you got some films called Criminal. You've got uh, oh, the Killing. Yeah. Well, remember uh, Killing in Istanbul, which uh, the, the, um, that's a great one if you ever see that one. It's a Turkish film. Um, satanic? Satanic with Satanic. Yes, that wasn't too bad. Um, you know, Baba Yaga is my favorite one with the, sort of the Valentina character in it. Uh, very kinky, very interesting. Uh, even the Frightened Woman or uh, Tenth Victim or sort of that sort of a thing. Tenth Victim, my wife mm. loves that one. It's a great one. Um, but probably, well, okay, Tenth Victim is kind of a swinger there. I think that's still the best. But close to second best is Danger Diabolic, which is his, uh, also known as just straight up Diabolic. Uh, John Philip Law's in it, which might have been a mistake. Uh, he was in Barbarella, which is, I think, why he was cast. And later he did stuff like Go and Voyage of Sinbad and Death Rides a Horse, which was an interesting Western with, um, uh, what the hell's his name? Uh, Lee Van Cleef, yeah. Like that one. Um, Mar- Marissa Mel's in it uh, from Fulci's One on Top of the Other, uh, Seven Bloodstained Orchids for Lindsay, and then eventually she wound up doing porn. Um, <laughs> Michelle Piccoli's in it, uh, who's probably most famous for doing uh, some Binwell and uh, Michael P- Michelle Piccoli. Uh, not Michelle Piccoli. Um, what the hell is Suki. No, no. Oh, the Grand Buffet. The Grand Buffet. 
and um, Dillinger's dead. That that fella, uh, I can't remember his name right now for some damn reason. I always liked his stuff too. Um, you know, and he did some uh, like I mentioned, being well films like Belle de Jour and uh, Phantom of Liberty. Uh, wow, why can't I remember his name? You, you don't remember his name, do you? Uh, the Italian director, big burly guy. Um, Anyway, Terry uh, Thomas is in this. Terry Thomas. Terry Thomas is in this thing. Adolfo Celli's in it uh, from Thunderball, yes. who sort of died. But the son of Sister Moon, <laughs> Holocaust 2000. Uh, Lucia Modugno's in it from films like Navajo Joe. Norman Warren, who we talk about next week, uh, Her Private Hell, the girl who knew too much she was in. Uh, it's the film doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense in a narrative uh, fashion, but in terms of like a live action comic book, especially for the time when you were getting things like Modesty Blaze, it works pretty damn well. Uh, it's I don't know. Can you really call it a plot? It's kind of like a spoof of a James Bond, but done comic book style and deliberately comic book. Oh uh, yeah, I I can I can. Uh, well, uh, uh, Diabolic is like super wealthy. Super yes. adventurer. You remember movies? You know, not even. There was another. There was a third, probably least successful late sixties, early seventies thing. It did better in American TV. The Adventurer, and that the that whole theme, like super wealthy guy that's like sort of like Clark Kentish. You know, he either works for this or he works for that. He's got so much money. He's an adventurer, sort of like the Saint. You know, or the Protector. Or the Protectors. Yeah, yeah. But the di- Diabolic was like the super wealthy guy, we have to assume, who's got this really hot chick girlfriend. He's got like a bat cave sort of a thing, too. He's got this huge cave. It's not even a bat cave. I didn't see a bat cave like this until like the Michael Nolan Batman movies. This thing is huge. <laughs> yeah. He's got like shit that moves his car around. It's very, yep. you know, really. And this is where Baba's expertise in you know, the, his techniques of, like, forced perspective really came in well. Uh, but the thing about Bava, uh, Diabolic, he's like a real Robin Hood. You know, he steals from the rich and keeps it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> giving it to the poor, but he keeps it. Um, so, the thing is, uh, he, he steals from this government, unnamed mysterious government. You know, it's an Italian film, but they, the, the government's French and, and, and British. Go figure. But he also steals from uh, organized crime, right? Where hence Adolfo Celli and his, his bunch of people. Um, it's got an uh, unusual score. It tries to be really poppy and hip, but it seems displaced. You know, it's like it seems like the whole score should be for a different movie. It even has a fucking theme song, which is like yep. da da da. You remember that? Yes, I do. And and it and Marissa Mel. Seems a little wrong for the part. Now you mentioned John Philip Law being wrong, but I think he's fine. If you remember the, I think they cast him for the image. They also probably cast yeah. him for Barbarella. Yep. Um, Bob has certainly had a lot of, lot of money to make this movie because it's Dino De Laurentiis, the man who blows money like crazy. <laughs> and the thing is, it didn't work. You know, it's Paramount yeah. picture. It, it just didn't work, and it didn't do. I guess the kind of money that the Laurentiis thought it was going to make. When I'm saying that it worked really well, it worked really well for one of these Fumetti type films. Uh, yeah, and true. in that respect, it's definitely like my number two after Baba Yaga. But in terms of a pure film or a Mario Baba film or even a spy spoof, 
it's questionable. I mean, the plot has holes in it besides the Swiss cheese. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful set pieces, but it doesn't make a lot of freaking sense. But Marissa Mel acts like a wooden board, and so does John Philip Law. There's that whole camp thing at the end. Not only is Terry Thomas in there, which you say something right away, but at the end of it, he gets the gold dumped on him, and you think that's going to be the end. Oh, what's going to happen to our hero? And then he winks at you through the gold, like molten gold. Uh, it's, well, well, it's a cheesy mentioned, film, but... But you mentioned Diabolic and his girl, I think Ava? Ava was the name? Yes, maybe? Ava. Um, being wooden, but that's, you know, the, that harkens back to the whole thing. These things are influenced by uh, comic books. Panels. I mean, this yeah, is the time so. of life or the time of history when the Batman series was on. It, camp, pop art, this was popular at the time. So for one of but those, I don't think, it's great. But I don't think they were doing camp, though. I don't know what... I, I This really? is one of the problems... Yeah, I don't... I think, for me, this is one of the Bible movies that's, like, on another plane of existence. Because <laughs> it was like... It doesn't appear to me to be camp, and yet it doesn't work anything else. Yeah, because so, there's no way you could describe it as anything else but camp. If you're thinking of it as, this is a straight film, it's like, wow, this guy sucks. What the hell is he thinking? But as a camp film, okay, yeah, this works very well. It's very much in the, that Batman, uh, satanic, diabolic, uh, you know, killing, uh, whatever the hell, mold, uh, criminal. Uh, and in most ways, much better movies with lower budgets. <laughs> well, I was thinking it was better than all of those, but yeah, criminal. Some of them weren't that bad. And now I'm thinking about that. But even so, I always liked it when I was younger. Seeing it again as an adult, it's cool to look at. Yeah, it's cotton candy. It's like okay, yeah, yeah. Turn nice. off your brain. It looks nice. yeah. It's stupid, but you know, for one of these kind of fermenting type films, it's great. So, uh, and you know, you know what the, the big thing with this was released here by Paramount. It's a big yes. thing. Yes, big and, budget. And, right, big budget, and and Paramount tried to push it, and and they did. They, I remember, they had these big freaking ads and everything, and trailers, and trying to make a very pop art. They pushes. You don't forget, this is 68, pop art, pop art. And it failed. And yeah. people really wanted them to put this out. And I remember, do you remember there was like a few years where Paramount didn't give a shit about a lot of their movies and they put them out yes. on EP Speed VHS tapes? Yes, I do, unfortunately. <laughs> I have a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they, took, they took up like like a quarter of an inch of a space on the, on the tape. But the tape was expensive, though. Yes. It was so, uh, like, what is this? Yeah. After this, we get into 1970, and he did, as you mentioned before, Roy Colt Winters to Jack, which is, you know, I've seen a lot of spaghetti westerns. Some of them are fantastic, and I really love them, and other ones are just like, why did anybody fucking make this film? This is one of those. Uh, oh. But, you know, in the same year, he does $5 for an August moon. Now, I know a lot of people do not like this film. I always loved it. Now, is it a great film? Not really. It's a giallo. It's decent enough. It's got probably one of Piero Emiliani's best soundtracks, and I'm a huge Emiliani fan. Um, you know, I used to be really big, big on soundtracks, and as much as I love Morricone, as much as I love a lot of these people, uh, he was always my favorite. I always really loved Emiliani stuff. And it's, it's jazzy. That's the thing about it. It's, it's, there's a lot of bossa nova, there's a lot of um, mambo, and it's very, very jazzy. Uh, guy knew what he was doing, and you've got Edward Fenix running around in this thing. Um, you know William Berger's in it, who is not only a 
big spaghetti western guy, but he's in stuff like the Adato's Dial Help, Lumberto Bobo's Devilfish, Cozy's Hercules, Superfly TNT, uh, <laughs> Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, My Dear Killer, Kaoma, Sabata, Face to Face, Ira Von Furstenberg's in this from the, the Fifth Chord, uh, Edwin Fennec, I just totally, you know, what am I going to say? I adore this woman. Um, just naming a couple of things, going from, you know, sex comedies to Jollos to whatever. Police Woman in New York, uh, Strip New for Your Killer, Jim on a Long, long Thigh, uh, Kiss of the Bloody Iris, Phantom of Death, the School Teacher Films, All the Colors in the Dark, and Vices of a Locked Room, Blade of the Ripper. I mean, this woman was everywhere. And she was, some people consider her the queen of the Jollo, but she was more of like a uh, comedian, really. She shows up in a lot of Italian sex comedies. Um, right. Ellie, Ellie Galliani's in this from Blizzard of Woman's Skin, High Crime, Emmanuel on the White Slave Trade. This movie sucks. Do you like this movie? I like it. Maurice Pauly's in it. Uh, now, oh, yeah. is, like, like I said in the beginning, is it a great film? Well, you can argue that. And a lot of people hate it. I like it. I really do. I mean, I like the whole deserted island, Agatha Christie sort of thing. I like the fact like that there that. are a bunch of Rick de- rich decadence, you know, a bunch of perverts out there going and having a good old like time, like swapping or whatever. Um, I get a kick out of this whole thing where, you know, this girl's got this refrigerator full of bodies or whatever the hell. I like uh, that. See, there's a lot of stuff about it to like. Now, does the whole thing gel? Some people say no. You're you're obviously one of them. I like it. I really <laughs> do enjoy this film. I always did. I always will. Uh, the one problem I have with it is there's a yeah. little bit of that Eddie Romero slash Jesus Franco, you know, zoom in, zoom out, yeah. zoom in, zoom yeah. out. That sucks. Uh, and there are some prints of it that are kind of washed out and overblown, if you will. They didn't really letterbox it. I think do this it is the first time we see we see Mario do this with the zoom, right? I think pretty yes. much. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's not the only time, but it's definitely the first. Um, mm-hmm. So... I don't know. What do you want to say about since you obviously hated this film? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't hate this film. We both agreed on the things to like about it. I just thought... <sighs> I really, really like the Agatha Christie channel Indian yeah. thing. And there's a couple of really good... Ver- a couple of underrated versions of that. The Hugh O'Brien one's terrific and so on. Oh, yeah, and then there um, are none. So that's the best one, really. But even like the well, Fabian one, I enjoy. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to like about that. No, oh uh, yeah, the nerd, even the Radley Metzger one's not bad. I like. Yeah. That. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'll argue that one a little bit, but yeah, Metzger wasn't too bad. It was not my favorite Metzger film, let's put it that way. But you know, considering. But, yeah, considering, yeah. But I did. I don't know. For some reason, it did not work for me, and I felt I felt detached by this. Yes. Film. Well, yeah, it's a cold film in that respect. It's not film cold. It's, it's got the warmth and color and whatever, and yet probably because these are rich decadents, just kind of you know wife swapping and screwing around and killing each other, uh, there What's is that level that? of – well, <laughs> see, but that's the level that you're picking up. That's the – well, why do I really give a fuck about these people? They're a bunch of assholes anyway. Uh, I don't but mind But then why am I watching Italian movies? No. Yeah, exactly right. So it, it comes to this level of well, what where are you willing to cut the lines here? And me still, I like it. Um, is it one? But of see, the I like the no. next movie a lot, and yet that's the honeymoon, really? Because I hate this film. <laughs> Which one? Hatch it for the honeymoon? No, I was thinking of Bay of Blood. Uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve, yeah. Okay, well, just before that, because we're still in 1970, he did Hatch it for oh, a honeymoon, which is. Uh, fun. Uh, 
it's a proto slasher for one thing. Uh, it definitely was one of the films that kicked off. Not so much as the one you just mentioned, which is his next one, which really was the template for Friday the Thirteenth, if nothing else. Um, but there's this sort of uh, there's another one like Brides War Blood, and um, there was another one. Uh, was it the Lesbian Vampire or something? There was a couple of them at around the same time that were usually, if not directed by women, had sort of, sort of a semi-feminist angle. That were oh uh, Stephanie Rothman, yeah, yeah, Velvet yeah. Vampire. Velvet Vampire is one, but that was more of like a on the other end of things. This is more of the misogynistic end of the same thing. I don't know. I think it was some sort of reaction to feminism or something, but there was like three films around the same time, and I didn't like any of them. All of them felt kind of, eh, what are you saying here? Uh, and I think this is the one, and maybe it's Brides Were Blood, I'm thinking of the Aranda film, where they're going to hack off the woman's breast. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching here? Really? You know, you, you can't get over your little edible problems with <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just got an issue with that. It was just like, oh, come on, really? Uh, Hatch for the Honeymoon isn't quite that bad. But you've got this whole thing. Wasn't he, like, cross-dressing? And, you know, he couldn't handle his something for his mother, and he had a murder. I don't know what the hell. The fucking film, I, I don't like it so much that it's like I've watched it maybe twice in my life, and I never liked it either time. Um I will say that Dagmar Sanders in it, and she was in stuff that I do like, like The Frightened Woman and Forbidden Little Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion, House by the Cemetery, uh, Lombardo Bobbles, Devil Fish, Werewolf Woman, Fabi Babusi's in it, from Bloodsucker Leads the Dance Strip, New for Your Killer, So They Could Say This, So Sweet, So Dead, Blade Pit of Horror, Gerard Titchy's in it, from The Hanging Woman, when we're talking about uh, Nashy Films, Corruption on Chris Miller, which is still not on DVD, nice Spanish horror for you, Summertime Killer, Companeros, and Lucino Pagazzi, who we mentioned earlier. And yet, I don't know. This the vibe I get of this film is like gross. Uh, I really, of all the Baba films, I think I detest this one the most. So that's why when you said you liked it the most, I'm like, really? <laughs> but you weren't talking about this one. So is there anything no, you want to this film in, in its defense I, or otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen Steve Forsyth is a really interesting choice for this. I, I recall for one or two spy movies. Apparently, uh, he's not Italian, which I, which interested me when I found that out because I always thought he was. And um, uh, who's in this? Marco Merrill and uh, yeah. There's an interesting thing going on in this movie. This is also Jallo-esque in a way because in a way what we think is yeah. You know what movie's really similar to this in a way is the night Evelyn came out of the grave. But I like because that because. Yeah, they 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 share some interesting tropes going on because what you think you're seeing is not what you think you're seeing. I even and have a shirt for that movie which freaks everybody out because it's like you know the corpse holding up the severed head. <laughs> you would, but yeah. actually, that sounds like a cool shirt. Where'd you get that? Tell me that. Jeez, I got it from uh, either Chiller or Rotten Cotton years ago. Oh, years ago, right? Yeah, but I still have it. I still wear it all the time. I remember that poster. It was a cool poster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they share certain the things. The world's you know, are <laughs> Stephen Forsyth is so stiff that, in a way, it works. And but the, uh, the voiceover, I like, the, I like this movie because it's so nutty. But it's full of voiceovers 
The voiceovers of the dead wife, who may not be dead, but she's dead, but she's not dead. The voiceovers of the crazy husband. And they and even, that even Nancy Drew shit where the guy's walking through, there's got hidden carters in the house, and the mother's walking around, and he's in drag, and I don't know. It's just like, ugh. I was just disgusted by this film. The two times I saw it, oh. I'm like, ugh. I mean, maybe I should revisit no, no. it after all these years. But yeah, yeah, it's worth, re- it's worth. Re- I think it's worth taking another look at. You know, it's it's. Uh, I think the problematic part is the last fifteen minutes where we're really getting into heated. Oh, really? So is this happening? And at the end, it's a no. It's this is going on, and like, really, you're <laughs> fucking with me. So, uh, yeah, it becomes a very standardized uh, Poliziotesque or, or Giallo yeah. at the end. It's like, wait a minute, you're messing with. So it's it's subpar, but yeah. it's I don't think it's as bad as well for me. It's not as bad as you. Yeah. Again, like Our I next, said, it's been years. So, but the, your next one is the one you said you really liked, which is a death nerve. Now, for me, what I remember liking about it was I was disturbed by that opening credits bit where, I think it's opening credits, where the guy is, you know, stringing up his old mother in the wheelchair up or whatever the hell. Yeah, it's disturbing, yeah. What I did like is that girl, I think it's Bridget Sky with the huge boobs that goes to swimming in the middle of the, it, yes, in the middle of the pool. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, okay, that's nice to look at. But, yeah, we agree on this. Yeah. But, yeah, and and Nicoletta <laughs> Elmi, who I mentioned earlier, was actually in this, you know, the little red-headed creepy girl. Uh, She's stuff girl. like, yeah. who saw her die for for Frankenstein, Deep Red, Night Child, Demons. Uh, Luigi Pastilli's in it again. Uh, Claudine Auger's in it, who was in stuff like Thunderball and Black Belly Tarantula. Uh, Bridget Sky, who I just mentioned, was in Four Times That Night, which I like a lot. Uh, actually, I don't even think I saw that when I was going through. Oh, no, it's coming up. That's why. Um, that's another Bala film that I do like mention. Um, it is very, very much Friday the 13th. Now... Is it better? Is it worse? Is it in between? It's a proto-Jalo, and therefore, sometimes when you see these ones from the 70s, there's elements that really work and elements that don't. I recently saw that, uh, what was that one, Savage Weekend, and I found that I liked it a lot better seeing it now than when I had seen it, like, you know, it's old, like, crappy YouTube prints or whatever. Uh, but it's there's elements that feel like right if you watch a lot of slasher films. Like, you know, I had a period where I was just watching every freaking slasher film ever made, uh, and I enjoyed them for the most part. Uh, but then all of a sudden it just kind of falls flat, and then it just ends. I was like, wait, what happened? You didn't finish the story. What's going on here? Uh, and I find that with a lot of the proto-Jalos. So this film has that element, that that sort of... 70s, I think I want to be a slasher, but I'm not quite there yet because I don't really know what I want to do, uh, sort of a feel. Is it good, bad, and different? There are elements that work. Uh, I know I can tell you my wife hates it, but she hates slashers, so that's understandable. Um, you know, uh, I would not consider it a great Mario Bauer film by any stretch of the imagination, but in terms of kicking off the slasher genre, definitely. There's really, it's probably the earliest one of these sort of things to find. Because we're talking about 1971. So, uh, your turn, since you said it was uh, one you really liked. It's one I really like. I I, I cannot defend it's, it's It definitely has uh, implied misogyny all over oh, yeah. This is the time period where this is starting to rear its ugly head. Um. Yeah, the opening's kind of nasty. It's brutal. Uh, the lady in the wheelchair. You don't see he was actually killing her. He gave it away. But um, 
There's a couple of murders in here. There's that, you know, the, the four friends go out swimming to that really skanky, dirty fucking pool. Yeah. Outdoor pool. Well, like yep. I said, the, th- the 13th thing, they have that business where they're fucking in bed, and all of a sudden they, they stick the spear up through the bed. You know, and that's that's right. Yeah, but classic bed, this, pool, this pool's outdoors. It looks cold and, and, yep. and it's, it's dirty. But then you get to see Bridget skate, so it's different. Um, right. <laughs> And she's nipple whore. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> cold. Yeah. It's cold. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very cold. Um, very attractive. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but then it takes a weird turn to, like, the deer who's cheating on his wife, who's got children, who has a house, who's like, blah, 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 selling real estate. It's all about real estate, actually. Yes. It comes down to it. And um, it's, it's another problem I had with... I like it. This is another problem I had with the previous film, which is that we just discussed, that uh, it's just a bit a bit cold, but yeah. enough people like this movie enough to steal from it for the next 30 years. Yep. <laughs> and that's kind of it. It's like, it's influential, but do I like it? Eh, Bridget Sky aside, no. <laughs> I'll say I'll skip it. I mean, is it horrible? No. But it's just like, eh. It's not what well, I although, consider a Baba film. Although you do see the reappearance of the gory, uh, the gory brutal deaths. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so then next we get to what is honestly, and a lot of people will kill me for this one, but my favorite all-time Baba film, which is Baron Blood. Uh, it's probably the second one that I had ever seen, which may play part into that, but it's got the atmospherics of films like. Uh, we had mentioned earlier, Blood and Black Lace, uh, mixed with some of the gothic of, say, like a Black Sunday, you know, the, the theme of the Return of the Dead and all that stuff. It's got some elements of, you know, if you will, copycats, like you had mentioned. Um, uh, what the hell's that one? Uh, Crypt of the Living Dead, or the Castle of the Living, the one with Christopher Lee with Karen Dorr, the German one. Uh, oh, 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 the Torture Chamber of Dr. Satan. Torture Chamber of Dr. Satan was one of his titles. Yes. I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. It's got elements of that. It's got some elements of Spanish horror. It feels a little bit Paul Nasty, especially if you're talking uh, Horror Rise from the Tomb, because you've got the whole business where they visit the witch, and you know, there's a lot of stuff in it that is just so gothic meets occultic meets Jalo meets, you know, it's like all over the place. And you. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's just no. You're me, on a roll. Go ahead. It totally yeah. friggin' works. And again, this is another one where I think, in a lot of respects, it works better in the U.S. cut. Probably more because of the soundtrack. Because seeing it in Italian with the original, um, I forget who the hell did it. My remember Jordan Jordan line. Somebody like that. Uh, soundtrack was so cheesy and jarring, and um, you know, Euros a travelogue kind of a thing. And you got it with the Les Baxter score, which, okay, makes it a little more straightforward, but it works so much better. It, it, it's underscored the creepy parts. And, you know, it, for me, this was just like I had seen it on Fright Night a, a couple of times, actually. Uh, and it was just like something that stuck with me all my life. And I had gotten it when it came to VHS. And then I got it again on DVD. And then I got it when they had both versions together on the Blu-ray. Because obviously, like we said, a lot of the Bob films are completely different cuts. Uh, in terms yeah. of scoring, in terms of editing, in terms of you know dubs, in terms of everything, you know, even they change the plots more or less. 
Um, so for me, I think the American Cut still works better, but both work. And I really, really like it. Joseph Cotton gives a strangely detached but still very effectively sadistic and uh, evil performance as the titular Baron. Uh, Lucio Pagazzi uh, gives one of his more memorable performances, Elkie Summer, who's usually in you know sex films. You know, Max Pekus' uh, Sweet Ecstasy and Danielle by Night. The... Um, the spy film, the British spy film, Deadlier Than the Mail, uh, The Corrupt Ones. Great movie, uh, great movie. You know, uh, like I said, Nicoletta Elmi's in this thing, the creepy little redheaded girl. Uh, it really, really works. And it is, if I had to pick a Mario Obama film, even though, yeah, a lot of people say Black Sunday, nah, this is it for me. Baron Blood is my favorite, so... Uh, but I know that nobody agrees with that. I'm like the only person on earth that says that, so <laughs> go ahead with your uh, your take on it. How does it feel to be the only person on earth? Um, <laughs> I'm used no, to actually, it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's always a movie I wanted to like. I'm actually glad we're doing this show because I can like air things out. I, I always wanted to like this movie all these years more than I like it. And I agree with you. That's a really good take on Joseph Cotton. Strangely detached, but his performance. And, um, yeah, it's a very weird kind of performance he got at Cotton for this. Um, and he's yet cold and so sadistic. It's like, oh, my God. He, he, uh, he's, he's almost like acting cool, calm, and collected. Like, uh, the only equivalent role I can think of for him would be in The Hellbenders. Uh, but mm. even more so, he's even darker here while still kind of smiling and being jovial. You know, it's almost like that, oh, Mr. Bond, I want you to die, but it's worse than that. It, it's that very much like, oh, yes, I think I'll flay you alive and let the crows pick out your eyes while I you know, pull your intestines from beneath. Oh, yes, that'll be a nice day. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a very unusual performance. It's, it's You're getting the feeling he's not imbibing himself with any urge, uh, imbibing his character with any energy, but he's, he's far from it. He's, he's doing something in his head that he, he thinks is going to work, and it works in an unusual way. My biggest problem, I like that the hero, I thought he was a very good, handsome young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was fine for it. I, I have a problem with Elkie, who I normally like a lot. Really? And, I thought this was one of her better I, roles. Yeah, I thought Elkie just played it too weak. And, yeah. And 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 she, cause she's she's not softy. She's a big girl, but she's yeah. uh, she's strong. She always strikes you. At, well, strikes me as a strong woman. And, yeah, and, and, that's true. If you were comparing this to her peakest roles, where she is, you know, almost like a Bardot figure, where she's like, I'm oversexed, and fuck you if you don't like it, and you're too weak to handle that. Uh, so you're right about that. Here she is very feminine and weak and screaming at every turn. And, oh, my God, Fritz, don't do that. Or, and it you know, doesn't it, work. It doesn't work for me because she's she's this big girl. She looks, yeah. She's not a kid. She's an adult. She's, you know, what was she, 30-something years old? Oh, she had to be, and yeah. So, and so I, I don't understand why he decided to direct her this way and, and Boy, when Elke Summer fucking screams, holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, turn the volume down. Um, that being said, it has a lot of eerie things going on here. Uh, 
even the modernistic parts, like when you've got that thing where they're they're renovating his castle before he uh, necessarily comes back to life, if you will, and you've got you know Fritz there screwing around with the shrunken heads. I think it's actually where uh, Mel Brooks got the young Frankenstein bit from with Marty Feldman hiding his head among the the shrunken heads or whatever and the brains, and then started like talking, you know, I ain't got nobody. He he did that. Fritz did that and scared her. Uh, but there's this section right before that where they've got a Coca-Cola machine there, and I forget who the guy is. He's like a, a German, uh, you know, the surveyor or whatever that's running the project or restoring the castle. And all of a sudden, the Baron, who you haven't seen yet, except in like his messed up face and his big hat, uh, he's this great like, fedora and gloves and stuff. He's, he's very uh, gothic and sinister in an old-fashioned way. Uh, comes up. And grabs him and strings him up and like hangs him from the parapet. Uh, and it's like I said, the the, the sadism of this film. Uh, it's right. not necessarily right. sexual, but there is a sexual frisson to this whole thing. It's very dark and mature in a way that you know something you figure some like nine year old kid is watching. You know, it's mind blowing. It, it's very. Again, I, I just really like this film. So go ahead with your thought. I'm sorry for that. Well, and, and and the whole thing with the witch is totally out of left field. It just takes yes. another turn. You know, they're trying to find out the, uh, you know, the, the origin of, of of the Baron of Wise there. Or, you know, get some confirmation that's actually what's going on. So they go to meet the witch, who does. I'm trying to remember this correctly. She does like a sort of seance thing. Remember, yes. and the wind's yep. blowing, and the windows open. And it gets like to be a completely different moment. And it's, a, it's very occultic, and then all of a sudden she yeah. leave, you know, they leave, and she's fearing for her life. And all of a sudden he shows up and kills her, and she's expecting. He's like, "Come on, all right, I'm ready for you." And then he kills her. Yeah. And then he has this whole thing with the doctor when he first comes back to life because you know his face is so scarred from being an Iron Maiden. Or well, that was a good scene. That was and a good he, scene. That, he has the doctor thing, on a windy night. Really good. Yeah. He wakes him up and he has him go and do surgery on him, and then kills him. And it actually. Remind me a bit of a less successful film that I also like, uh, Chamber of Horrors with uh, Patrick, uh, not Patrick McNee, Patrick, uh, you know who I'm thinking about, right? Um, oh, yes. British actor. Uh, Patrick O'Neill. Patrick O'Neill, thank you. And he's got like the hook hand and the horror horn and all that crap. Good movie, but same idea, but this is much, much better, much, much darker, uh, much more sinister, sadistic vibe to this. But again, go ahead. No, I... I, I... I don't like it as much as you. I wish it was better. I think, I think the casting was a little off with Elkie, but you know, it's it's again, it's a movie. I wish it was better for me. So from here, he doesn't have too many movies left in him. Um, he does four times that night, which I like. Um, it's actually sort of a portmanteau. What would you call it? It's not really a sex comedy, but basically follows Danielle Giordano, who is gorgeous. She was actually like a Miss Italy or some crap. Um, she was in stuff like Five Man Army, Your Vice is the Locker Room, Girl in Room 2A, Violent City, Black Candles. We've mentioned some of these films in the past. Um, and she goes through, and basically it's almost like a Rashomon sort of a thing, where she tells the story from different perspectives, like, okay, one time she's a virgin, one time she's a slut, one time she's the wronged woman, one time she's the one doing the wronging. Um, Dick Randall's in the damn thing. You know, I love Dick Randall films, but it's like bizarre to see him in a Marabala thing, or involved with one. Bridget Skye's in it again. Uh, Pascal Petit from Find a Place to Die's in it. Uh, Brett Halsey's in it, which is 
all right, in itself it's a little questionable, but you know he was in a lot of uh, Fulci films like uh, Demonia and Touch of Death and Kotsu's The Black Cat, which still needs to come to DVD. Um, you know, there's not a lot to it beyond what I just said, but she's gorgeous and it's entertaining enough. Again, it's like comedy enough that when I showed it to my wife, she enjoyed it. So you know, if if you want to show like Maribaba films to your girlfriend, this is probably one that you get away with. Uh, is it really substantial? No. Is it one of the high points of his career? No. But is it much more watchable than some of the other ones we've been naming recently? Especially when you start talking about like you know Doctor Goldfoot and all that. You bet your ass. So, uh, is there anything you want to mention about this one before I go on? No, no, no. Let's move on. All right. So. Uh, we're getting to right to the end here. Lisa and the Devil, he does. Now, this one was problematic. I love this film in the original. Um, Telly Savalas is in it, and he obviously has done a lot of stuff. You know, Kojak, Dirty Dozen, Horror Express, Town Called Hell, Skip to Athena. Uh, Elkie Summers in it again. Uh, Sylvia Kashina, who was in stuff like Hercules and Hercules Unchained. Uh, Gabriel Tinti, who was uh, Laura Gemser's uh, husband, and was in a lot of stuff. You know, Beaks, Cut and Run, Violence in Women's Prison, uh, Sister Emmanuel, Emmanuel America, so on and so forth. Eerie Midnight Horror Show. Alita Volley's in it, From Fatal Frames to Speria, Third Man, and Eyes Without a Face. Um, it's kind of a throwback to the old Italian gothics, except that it's more creepy and sadistic. It's like if you took all the kinks, yeah, if you took all the kinks that were understated somewhat in films like, you know, Horrible Dr. Hitchcock, and made them right up front and made them even sleazier to make it for a more common, you know, we're talking about 1972 now, uh, more modern day uh, audience. This was it. And, you know, Elkie, of course, is gorgeous. There's some gorgeous, uh, like, mountainside uh, village settings. Uh, they've got this ridiculous painting of, like, you know, the devil, which is basically, you know, Pelly Savalas uh, abducting this girl. There's this whole business with an antique shop that's really creepy. Uh, she winds up going up to this mansion for uh, what ends up being her boyfriend, uh, but he's got some weird necrophiliac thing going on. It, it's really, really screwed up, and yet it's so atmospheric and so dark. It works really well. But what happened was, uh, for some reason, I don't know if it was Alfredo Leone or somebody had deemed this thing unreleasable, I guess because we're talking about 1972. Maybe they thought this sort of Italian Gothic thing was like out of date or I don't know what. No, it was, I think it was the sexual stuff, I think, pretty much. Was it? Okay, because there was some reason they didn't want to release it as is. And yeah. he sat on it for a while. Not Bob, but he wanted to get it out. But uh, Leone, uh, who was the producer, just kind of sat on the damn thing. And then finally, you know, a year or two later, The Exorcist came out and they started doing all those Exorcist knockoffs. So, all right, you know what? I'm going to go and take parts of this film and mix it up with a blatant, you know, sleazy Exorcist thing. So you've got, I forget who it was. I know they brought Elkie back for a little bit, but they had some other girl there. Uh, in a hospital gown and, you know, jumping up and cursing out. And they brought a priest in and she's swearing at him and puking up uh, green oh, no, vomit. That was okay. That was okay. Stripping off her clothes. and you know, It's just like, really? This is just stupid. I mean, it's kind of funny in a way if you're looking at it for camp value, but it was just like, this really sucks. And then they kept pieces of the original film in it. And when I had seen it as you know a child and a teenager on TV, that was always the version we saw. We never got to see Lisa and the Devil until I think it was Image finally put out the DVD in the late 90s. And finally we saw – they put both together, but you finally saw the original version. And I've never looked at that version since, you know, that shitty one. 
but at the time, what I had actually done was, you know, back in the days of like VHS uh, taping, I dubbed out all the Lisa and the Devil parts and put them together. So I had like a, a 37 minute film <laughs> that was like, okay, here's the real film or what's left of it, and just got rid of all the other shit. I hated the other stuff so much. Uh, but, you know, the film itself, the original, is actually, you know, is it as successful to me as something like Baron Blood or even Black Sunday or Black Sabbath? No. But is it damn good? You bet. Um, what do you think about this whole scenario or your film? Uh, well, well, uh, my first exposure to this was, uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of the post-Texas stuff was out there. There was a movie with uh, Richard Johnson and Juliet Mills. You remember that? What the hell yep. was that Oh, that might have been Nightchild. Oh, oh, I know. It was Beyond the Door. Uh, I actually, Beyond when I door. saw Richard Johnson... I actually had him sign something from Beyond the Door just because I had just seen it and I kept quoting like lines to him and he he really wanted us to say oh the child must be born together so I had him sign really? from that rather than the haunting cool. yeah he loved that uh, yeah Beyond the Door yeah K K K K great soundtrack in that one by the way K K K C whatever yeah right um, you say right you say and. And and actually, Lisa and Devil was was advertised as Beyond the Door too. Remember that at some point. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And but so was the, Shock, which was his later film. That was Beyond the Door too, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were both of them. But when this came out as House of Exorcist, that's when I saw it first. It was yep. kind of unsettling because you had pieces of Lisa and the Devil, and then you had pieces of the new footage, which actually is Elkie and Robert Alda. Uh, Alan right. Alda's dad, and uh, and uh, yeah, she's feeling wild. She's doing very acrobatic things, and, and she's. I don't know, and they had some scenes where I think it was a body double. They they kind of strip off and show him pussy, and I was like, "What the hell are we watching here?" Yeah, but, yeah, she did have a body double, but that, yeah. that's, that's some anonymous time check. But most of yeah. supposed to be yelling. But when I saw Lisa and the Devil. Now, I have to say, I saw Lisa and the Devil way before Image ever put it out. Right. I saw Lisa and the Devil because somebody I was trading tapes with had Lisa and the Devil. Really? And I, uh, yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, you don't have this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, shit. And then I had Lisa and the Devil in Spanish, which I have to say contains footage not in the Image of Lisa and the Devil. This really? Par for the course for Italian films. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to this whole thing, Lisa and the Devil is a very interesting gothic, maybe a surreal, definitely. It's a surreal yeah. You know, she goes to work for this house. It's a leader, you know, if you go and somebody's mother's the leader valley, turn around and run. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, it's a really weird Oedipal sort of a film, yeah. Yeah, if the guy that you're supposed to be taking care of is this really good-looking, looking almost feline, almost androgynous, almost like you could be a tranny at night, turn around and run. <laughs> you know, it's, if he's I fucking mean, the corpse all... of his ex-wife, then <laughs> get out yeah, and run. Yeah, if he's fucking the corpse of his ex-wife, and then he fucks you while you're sleeping, you remember that? That's a big yes, scene. Yep. Turn around and run. You know, but the, these... <laughs> <laughs> All these things are, are there, and, and they're, they're pretty shocking. But again, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, 
that 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 Bhava is, and you did as well. Bhava messes with these sexual things. That you know, being a very quiet type guy in real life, he's like yep. blowing out with this fucking shit. Um, Kelly Savellas, I you know he, he plays the devil. I, I don't mind him as much. You know, he throws a, the lollipop in, and it's just you know not supposed to do that because he's you know harping on the Kojak thing is very popular. <laughs> Um, I happen to think that, I mean, I believe that, uh, again, I, I can't remember this stuff from all the crap I've read over the years, that most likely it was the sexual stuff that was not working, and they wanted to make a horror movie out of this. And it's a surreal, dreamlike movie with Oedipal, incestuous, and God mm. knows what other Necrophilic, yeah. It's all screwed up. On. And so they couldn't release this. <laughs> and or or they couldn't make any money on it, you know. Right. The only one comparable to it that 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 did come out. Do you remember the one? I can't remember the title from Life of Me. The woman, the woman's a sculptor. It's an Italian movie. She's a sculptor. Right. Uh, she makes a sculpture of this of this. Uh, he was one of the thieves that was that was crucified with Jesus, and it turns into this hunk. And she has sex with him, and it turns out he's actually a, uh, the devil. Or oh, yeah. What the hell was that movie? I, I, is that Louis Cessa? Is that the uh, Eerie Midnight Horror Show? Yes. I remember yes. seeing that one, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was like a black suit, wasn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. And that, but that's a movie that, that kind of had a similar feel for it, but actually came out. You know, like, well, but that was a different producer as well, you know. Right, uh, you know, but that's a movie. Actually, they said, "Oh, put this thing out. We don't care." You know, and everybody loved it because it was strange, and it was taboo breaking. But I think Leone, had, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a name at the time, and I think, and he had some more money. I think, I think, Baba was really dispirited to have to go back and do these reshoots as well. Yes. Oh, yeah. He didn't want to do that at all. I don't even know if he did it. I thought Leone might have shot those. I know he disowned it when, uh, in terms of the reshoots, if you will. Well, you know what's really interesting about this before we go, because I'm the impresario, please, is that who, who's the other actress in this? She did Spy movies. Um, Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh shit. I don't even remember. Julia Demonale with Elkie as well. Um, Julia. Sylvia uh, Casina. Sylvia Casina, yes. And Sylvia Casina, I, I remember on the image, which went out of print really fast, on the image disc, there was some very graphic... Uh, sensual scene. Oh, that was where that was. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> the extra scene. And it was like, wow. <laughs> that was like the extra scenes that Rosalba and Mary claimed never happened on Slaughter Hotel. <laughs> that are on the desk. Yes, extras. <laughs> that are on the desk. Oh, this is not Rosalba and Mary. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> but anyway. So, so here we're kind he, of split on this movie. I think, I think we're really, it, it's definitely an influential film. It's definitely. Oh, yeah. It's 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 an important movie, you know. And to be honest, I think this is a movie that will have to be reassessed in a few years by people to fully understand what was going on with it. So from here, he's only got like really, if you want to call it that, one film left in him because Shock Beyond the Door Two 
was really kind of like he had done taking over for Freda uh, or Turner. Uh, Lamberto Bava did a lot of the work on this one. And then he had done some second unit work on Inferno for Argento. But again, some of that was Lamberto Bava. So, you know, really his last film per se was Rabid Dogs, also known as Kidnapped. Now, I don't think this film ever got released originally. I thought it was one of those they shelved it sort of films. Um, I know it was a big deal when they finally brought it out in, I don't know what the hell it was, 99 or something like that, because nobody had seen this damn thing either ever or for you know 20 years. Uh, I found it questionable. It's a police Tashi sort of. Um, you know, Leo Leander, who was in The Antichrist, which is one of my favorites of these kind of films, and Blood and Black Lace is in it. Maurice Poli's in it again from Five Dollars to the August Moon. George Easton's in it, uh, who we mentioned with the, the model films like Anthropophagus and Absurd. And uh, we mentioned Delirium and Iron Master. Uh, 2019 after a fall in New York, then they had the Bronx Warriors, Warriors of the Wasteland, the Barbarians. He loved these friggin' post-apocalyptic things. Uh, again, with the model Porno Holocaust, The Rock, The Living Dead, Cecil Nero. Ettore uh, Mani's in it from Fellini's City of Women, Hercules and the Captive Women, Giants of Rome, Hercules Prisoner of Evil. That was another one of the good ones we were mentioning earlier when we were talking about the uh, right. uh, Hercules Prisoner of Evil is a good one. But yeah. is it a good film? No. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's kind of tense and claustrophobic in the bad way. I mean, some people might think that's great because, oh, it's so claustrophobic. But it's like, yeah, but do I really want to see these guys going and threatening this girl and make sure that she, you know, oh yeah, well, if you get, if you get pissed, we're going to go and watch you and laugh at you. And it, it reminds me of Hitchhike with David Hess and Green Clary and Franco Nero, but it doesn't have yeah. David Hess and Frank, Green Clary and Franco Nero. It's got George Eastman and Maurice Pauly in it, and it's just... It's an unpleasant little film that doesn't really work. I mean... If you really want to be uncomfortable, if you're looking for Last House on the Left Part 2, all right, yeah, sort of. But number one, that's not my kind of film. And number two, it's just, I don't know, it, it just doesn't work for me at all. I mean, it, I'm glad I saw it. It's just kind of like, well, that's kind of a sad note for him to go out on, really. But what did you think about this one? Obviously, you didn't like it either. Well, well, uh, I see you kind of dismiss shock a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, I'll get yeah, there. Yeah. Well, well, then, better. Oh, we're going to go backtrack? Well, no, because it's afterwards. Shock was afterwards. That's what I was like. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, so Kenny Arabati, I think it did come out, and I think it died at the box office in this show. I mean, what what else is known as Rabbit Dogs and Kidnapped? It's, it's, I didn't like it when I finally saw it. It was like a movie I kind of thought I knew was, made, and then, I kind of agree with you, I, I it, you know, it's just, it gets at the point where, aside from the Mondo movies and the Cannibal movies, but these kind of unpleasant kind of pictures. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you put it up there with the women in prisons, the cannibal films, and the Nazi exploitation, it's kind of of a piece with them. But those are some of the most unpleasant, undefensible films ever made. Uh, so, so even people yeah, that are really yeah. into cult films that have to see all this shit just because, oh, it's made in Italy. I like these stars. I got to see this like myself and you. We're just like, right. I don't know. This is a kind of and it's possible, question. Which is shocking. I think the single most shocking thing about this at one time lost film that was to my Mario Bava. I'm like, what? 
Yeah, exactly. What the hell is Baba doing this for? You know, because you think about it, it's a little too real to life. I mean, just like those other films, not so much the camel films, but the other ones. This could really happen to somebody. You know, you really could have a home invasion or somebody carjacking you and kicking along as a prisoner. And this is what you want to see? It's like, okay, well, are they trying to figure their way out of it? Are they going to strong on the? You know, is it that sort of a thing where it's like, okay, the, the defense of man against you know a brutal reality? Okay, well, one thing. But no, it's just kind of like watching people get abused, and it's like, uh, I don't know. Again, like I'm, I'm glad I saw it because it's Maribava, but it's like, uh, I don't know. I really don't like it. Um, it's one I prefer to forget about, let's put it that way. So okay. you, you mentioned about Shock. That was actually three years later, uh, 77. Uh, and he, again, I really think that a lot of this was Mario uh, Lamberto Bava taking over. Uh I know that Lamberto and Dardano Cicchetti did the screenplay on this thing. Uh, yeah. Darren Nicolotti's in it, which is a nice thing. I met her. I liked her. I always liked her in the Argento films and the Cozzi films she did. Uh, well, John by, by this time, she's already worked with, with Dario. Yes, of course. Exactly. Uh, John Steiner's in this film from uh, Tinto Brass's Paprika, The Adada's Body Count, and Waves of Lust, which I liked. Uh, Ark of the Sun God, You Were a Hunter from the Future from Margarita fans. Reno de Silvestro's Deported Women in the SS Special Section. There you go. This is one of your crappy Nazi exploitation films. Uh, Tenebre for Argento. Um... I mean, Rasimov's in this. He's in a lot of cannibal films. You know, eating a lot of Holocaust. Don't you find this movie distasteful, though? There's something wrong. Yeah, there's something icky about it. I mean, yeah, okay, technically it's about ghosts. Uh, There's definitely in the same ballpark as House by the Cemetery for Fulci. Uh, This sort of, you know, or or even uh, the other one that Fulci did with the ghosts. Uh, What the hell was that? Sweet House of Horrors. And it's sort of like, oh, look, here's the little, or, or Manhattan Baby. Here's the little nuclear family, but they're all kind of screwed up and perverse and watch something horrible is going to happen to them from the supernatural realm or whatever. Um, well, no, I, I, I have to say that the idea of 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 the the father and the husband passing away and yep. the, suggest, the heavily suggestion that the wife is cheating, right? Okay, we got yes. that. But that the, the boy, the son, was already yep. like, Picked him up, what, nine, ten years old? Yep. Suddenly gets inhabited by the father's spirit, right? Yes. Yes. But then but then the father gets horny for the girl. <laughs> that means the son wants to fuck the mother. Yeah. And it's like we're getting into the very unusual territory here. But then also the son, and Bob is not sure what he wants to do with this. Does he want to kill the woman? Because there are yeah. times she's trying to push her, remember, push her off the stairs or whatever. And it's like, is it revenge for cheating on him, or does she try to? Does she kill the husband? Yeah, you know, I don't want to get everything yeah, but, away. Until, but you know. see, it doesn't get as explicit as it sounds like from what you're pointing no, to. It but no, it doesn't. No, right. it doesn't. But it's still yeah, playing that's that same edible ballpark. Yeah. Some at least in the devil, but more so, and it's more uncomfortable because this is a child. I mean, was it Giovanni Frazza? I don't think it's Frazza, but some little like brat like that, you know, some little blonde haired kid. Yeah, with somebody a like Uh. You know, and they get the cheesy effects, which you can tell is Lombardo Bava, like where they put the, um, uh, what the hell they call them, like a, a carpenter's knife, you know, with the, the ones with the edge that you cut sheetrock with, and they put it on the yeah. edge of the, the camera and move around with it. And it's it's a cheesy film. Am I glad I saw it? Yes. Do I have any objections to it? Not really. It's just like, uh, it's an ignominious end. And again, a lot of it, it doesn't even feel like, and I know for a fact that it wasn't even directed by him in a lot of respects. He did a few scenes, I'm sure, but I think a lot of it was just like, 
he kind of walked away. And I think even Lombardo said to himself, like, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be my father directing. He would show up in the morning and he'd just kind of wander off and, you know, get a cigarette and vanish for the day and leave me there to take over. And I think he was just trying to, you know, give me a chance to go and, you know, work my stuff and, you know, develop my career, if you will. Uh, and you can tell it, it is sort of a early Lamberto Bava film. I, I think Lamberto Bava did much better films after this, but again, that's a qualified thing because he's not like he, Lamberto Bava is not Mario Bava. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, so is there anything else you want to say about this particular one? No, I think we did. All right, and that's really it. Like I said, he had did some second unit work on Inferno with the, their pool sequence with every miracle diving down for the key. Uh, and you could see some of the Bava-esque touch to that. But again, you know, you could just say it's Argento because Argento kind of stole from Bava blind. And also there's a bit of Lambertoism to it. So you can you can see a little elements of everybody involved there. Um, but that's basically it. You know, overall, uh, what you can take away from Bava is that he is a complex character that had some odd persona quirks and themes that did not seem to be borne out by who he was as a person in his daily life or the way he directed or the way he approached people or you know his demeanor, uh, which was interesting in itself. So he's working stuff out through his film. And secondly, uh, that he had done so many things that wound up starting and kicking off genres, the Italian Gothic, the slasher film, the Giallo. Um, I mean... You know, these are much beloved genres that exploded. I mean, you know, the, the Italian Gothic probably being the smallest of them, and you know, there's at least 50 films in that genre. I mean, look how many hundreds of slashes there are, and how many, you know, basically hundreds of giallos there are, and giallo esque films uh, that, you know, go outside, if you will. Uh, so he was a very influential figure. And again, another thing that's interesting about him that nobody really knew or cared who the fuck he was until, you know, the nineties really kind of gave him a, uh, new appreciation. And I don't know if there's anybody else involved in that, but I know for a fact it was definitely going on the pages of video watchdog. So hats off to Tim Lucas for tipping to, uh, the fact that Maribava was who he was and how important he was. Uh, you know, some of us knew it for years before, but there was a small, small minority of us. I can tell you from personal experience, nobody knew who he was. So, because uh, uh, he was always the guy I named. You know, well, who are your favorite people? Well, I love Paul Nashi. I love Maribava. Who? <laughs> and they might have known Nashi, but they're the who. Uh, so, anyway, uh, that's it for this week. Unless you got anything else you want to say. Anything you want to close on? Yeah, yeah I think uh, we did. did well, yeah. All right, so uh, I guess uh, next week we'll be doing two of the most important directors in 70s British cinema. Uh, think about this. Outside of Hammer, Tygun, and Amicus, and perhaps the short-lived Wonderkin, Michael Reeves, how many British, quote, new-look cult directors of the era can you name? And yet, Pete Walker and Norman J. Warren have managed to carve themselves something of a conjoined niche unto themselves outside the larger studios. With their efforts gracing grindhouse theaters and syndicated programming alike throughout the 70s and 80s, their names have become synonymous with concurrent sidelines in sex and horror, often featuring some very well-established names in the business. So join us next week as we speak to the dark and gritty, or saucy and bouncy, boundary-pushing efforts of both Norman J. Warren and Pete Walker. Uh, we'll be keeping the British end up for a friendly pint with Norman Pete. So I uh, hope to see you then. And uh, that's yeah, just come, come, come around next week. We'll, we'll definitely keep it bouncy. <laughs> as bouncy as possible. So. Bouncy. Yeah. All right. So join us next week as we keep the British end up talking Norman J. Warren and Pete Walker. Hope you enjoyed our chat about 
Create My Real Baba. And uh, we will see you next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, here on Weird Sense Inside the Gold Mine. education, there's no need to settle. Get the interactive and purposeful education that you and employers demand from Colorado State University Global Campus. You'll get personalized, career-driven learning created and taught by today's industry leaders. CSU Global was built to help students succeed with affordability, flexibility, and individualized support. It's time to expect better. Find your path to the career you want at csuglobal.edu, where online education isn't another thing we do. It's all we do.